It's time to add some spice to your nooner. Nooner. <laughs> Funny. This is the place where big-time guests, bold opinions, and little cute doggies come together. This, this is Rothman and Ice. It appears that we cannot get Chop's microphone going right now. This is Rothman and Ice, and we're trying to get Chop's and Jensen Lewis dialed up for everybody. But if Evil Bald Colin can't figure this out, then this must be one major, major problem. So, hey, Timmy Hall hanging out with you until we get things situated, fresh from the update desk. And... As I was just saying right there, you know, first of all, I've been doing so many different things this week. It's been fun getting to hop around to different shows, getting to work with my guy T-Bone a little bit this week while the Buckeye show rolls on strong from six to eight. I know my guys, Eric Reeser and Maddie Andrews will be back there tonight getting you pumped up and getting you excited for Buckeye football, which we just stated there. It'll be a different kind of day for programming and I always look forward to it. I'm always excited about it because, especially when you start on that weekday game, we'll actually get a chance to be here with you, and we're going to get to talk about it on a Friday, where usually for the opening holiday weekend, we usually, in in the past, I think we've had that Monday off for Labor Day, but that's the other thing. If you were worried or concerned about that, we are going to be here on Labor Day. We've turned into one of those situations where you can take the day off and issue the PTO if you want to. But for the most part, the shows are going to go on and most of us are going to be here rocking and rolling to go over it. But the Thursday star gives us a chance to go right into Friday and with one day's notice, talk about that game. And with so many things happening in the offseason, mainly the fact that football is going to resemble something normal We're looking to get a 12-game season in. We're looking to have, even though the Delta variant is out there, and I just read some stories in the update about COVID policies and guys missing that 5 to 10 days. I don't think I told you the story about Ryan Tannehill. I was reading about that, the Titans quarterback. He's he's either fully vaccinated. I got to double-check on that because I was reading that he wasn't vaccinated at first, and he was in the process of getting vaccinated. But either way, he's going to have to miss 5 to 10 days. But on that front, the numbers out of the Ohio State football program have been relatively good. And you saw the news about what they're going to require there. So they're going to get to a point where everybody's going to be vaccinated. And that's going to be that's going to be the best thing for you, for me. Everybody that listens here, pretty good chance you're a gigantic Buckeye football fan. And you just want to see these young men have the chance that they didn't have last season. So that's really uh, that's really the main thing that I'm concerned about is getting to sit back, getting to relax, and hope to watch our team play without the constant disruption. Same here, Timmy. I am also hey. very excited about that. Where, where, are, where are you? You're in another studio Yes, right I am now in a different studio. So there, All right. Well, do we have Jensen, or do you want me to hang out with you for a little bit longer? I mean, if Jensen's here, we can hang out with him. If I have to hang out with you, I guess I'll hang yeah, out with you. Yeah, I, I guess you can. I guess you can manage. So, yeah, T- take it from here, Chops. What's coming up on the program today? Well, today, as you were talking about, it's one week till game day. We're very excited here at the Fan, getting ready for game week here after waiting all this time 
for Ohio State to come back. We've got some NFL talk. We're talking about teams with quarterback questions and how have they been answered throughout the preseason. We're going to get into all that. We've got Dan Hope joining us later this hour as well. Jensen, are you, are you here with me? How are you doing today? He's not there yet, but I'm still here with you, Chops. Sorry, I, I knocked my headphones out. This has been a disaster. <laughs> can, of you, a, can you hear me still? At least? I can hear you still. Oh, fa- great, fantastic. <laughs> Keep the headphone jack plugged in. Well, because now Got in this studio, it's to your left and it, it's on your side, so it's very easy to knock it out. It's a terrible placement for it. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. That's because Greg hears you and is just shaking his head violently. <laughs> yes. So, okay. So this has been a disaster of a start of a show, but it's a fun day. Oh, it's fun. As we mentioned, it's it's now time for game week, so we're, we're having a good time. It is National Dog Day, I saw. So I get, Perfect that, for this show, right? That's probably why Rothman's off. I mean, yeah, he's been yeah. off all week. It's national. Well, every day is National Dog Day for Rothman. Do you have a dog, Chops? I do. We've had a dog since March. Oh, of- okay. So a new pup. So so I, I get it confused. Beamer's got the new dog. You've got a new dog as well. So you're li- are you living the puppy life, or yeah. did you go with a veteran dog? It, it's a puppy, but it was a she was like you know roughly it was a rescue, so we don't know for sure. Roughly born in October, so we got her in March. So a, a little past like the extreme puppy stage, but still pretty much a puppy. A little mad at her this morning. She chewed right through my uh, laptop charger. So that was a, a disaster on that end from a technology standpoint. She gets through cords in a second. Like it wasn't like she like had it and I found her with it and she had chewed through yeah. it, or like it was you know plugged into the wall and she got to it. I was actively on my laptop with it plugged in. She was she jumped up on me. I pushed her off, and then two seconds later, I see her. Oh, she's on the and I pushed her off the charger. Broken. <laughs> gone all the way through <laughs> chops we got your buddy jensen lewis with us now so i'm gonna chill out just uh get his take on this nonsense of the orioles winning an actual <laughs> baseball game for me i don't oh like that God. i don't like that noise uh, it was unbelievable to f- finally see 19 game losing streak finally goes to the wayside and they tried to blow it uh, you know they were down six to two came back and then uh finally put it away late but yeah guys uh great to be with you and no i don't have a dog excuse as to why we couldn't get connected <laughs> but hey we're here better late than never well you missed it it was a from our end it was kind of a disaster as well the something <laughs> in the studio wasn't programmed right so nobody could hear me i'd hop over into a different studio tim went from being the update guy to singularly hosting the show for a few minutes and then you weren't there then i knocked my headphones <laughs> out of the jack so when tim talked i wasn't sure if it was you or him <laughs> oh okay but here we are we'll, we'll 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 try to get back into the swing of things it is one week until Buckeye football. That's the big news for me today yes. because every day you wake up now, just one step close. And that's true mm. every day, I guess, but you can really start counting down the days. It can get into hours. There's football this weekend, college football, not just NFL preseason. There's college football this weekend. It's it's all here right in front of us. Yeah, no doubt. We're looking forward to it. And, and obviously, a week from tonight, uh, we really start what we hope is a sense of normalcy, right? You're going to get back to fans in the stadiums. And what we hope is a safe and, and fully packed stadium there in, in Minneapolis uh, on the campus of uh, the Golden Gophers. It's their Super Bowl. That's what I was telling Matty Ice yesterday. Right. I mean, it's going to be really intriguing to see how C.J. Stroud under center for the first time, that atmosphere, you know, a little bit of a, a difference as far as you're going up against a team that's got 10 starters coming back on the defensive side, 10 starters on the offensive side. So you, you know they're going to be able to find a way as far as Minnesota goes to try and put some pressure on the Buckeyes early. And let's see how Ryan Day deals with it. I think they're going to have to lean on the running game very heavy. And that's not a bad thing considering the guys you're going to be able to run out there. 
Yeah, if they've got a, especially you're talking about Minnesota too, like what they're going to be able to do as far as their running game is going to be the thing that the Buckeyes, I think, have to watch out the most. Muhammad Ibrahim has been the big name from Minnesota for a couple of years now, and he's probably one of the leading candidates for Big Ten running back of the year. So that's going to be a handful for the Buckeyes, and we'll have an entire week to break that whole thing down. One thing I wanted to to highlight, and I heard them talking about this on Bishop and Laurinaitis, and it's the fact that it's a Thursday night game. And sure, there's other games. There's uh, there's a few other ranked teams in action. Arizona State plays, and uh, I think uh, Coastal Carolina plays the Citadel, and Rutgers and Temple play. Neither of them ranked, but that's another Big Ten team. Yeah. But really, realistically, unless you're a fan of those other teams playing, all the eyes are going to be on Ohio State and their new starting quarterback, C.J. Stroud. And that is a unique position to be in when you're not starting Saturday at noon against uh, Toledo or something like that. You're on the road, Big Ten opponent. You're Ohio State. You're replacing a, possibly, arguably, the best quarterback in, in not franchise history, program history. And C.J. Stroud is coming out there. He's never thrown a collegiate pass, but the expectations are still very high for him. And after Thursday... He can really set a precedent for how people think about him for the rest of the year, or at least for a few weeks. They brought up a good example again on Bishop and Lawrence. They were talking about Graham Mertz and the crazy game he had oh, yeah. for Wisconsin last year. Now it fell off, COVID things, and he was still just a freshman, and it kind of fell off. But that first week or two weeks, really, the buzz around Graham Mertz was crazy, and that's because he got to go out there and have a stellar performance when everybody was watching on a Thursday. Yeah, I think that's the other thing to think about here is you know the talent level that Ohio State's going to run out there compared to what Wisconsin have with Graham Mertz and, and his first time out. It's night and day. And I think that's a difference maker no matter how you look at the road game scenario for a Thursday night primetime. That'll be something that I think Ryan Day is able to simplify as far as the offensive game plan. And if you can do that, uh, then that, that really takes a lot of pressure off of CJ Stroud having to make big plays, you know, being in third and long situations. You got to believe with Ohio State having arguably the best offensive line in the country, their chops that this is going to be, we're going to bludgeon you at the line. We're going to play time of possession. We are going to force you to stop the run. And if you can't do it, we're just going to keep pounding because mm-hmm. uh, you could run out three different guys in Master Teague, in Mayan Williams, in Travion Henderson. I think all those guys can get equal touches or at least be uh, in a good rotation to stay fresh. And now you're asking Minnesota, not taking anything away from them as an experienced defensive bunch, but talent wise, you know, are they are they close to to being able to stop an elite running attack uh, that the Buckeyes are going to be able to put out there? My my initial feeling is no, and mm-hmm. and that's why I think you see the spread where it is at what seventeen, eighteen points, something like that. So let's let's just see how it all turns out these first couple of series on Thursday night. But either way, my man, cannot wait. To see the first third down from uh, you know the Buckeyes on offense and just hear that place roaring because it will feel like we are back to normal and a true college football atmosphere. And on the other side of the ball, I'm interested to see how the Buckeye defense, Kerry Combs, full-on defensive coordinator yeah. this year. How, right. how, how is that going to work? Who are the linebackers going to be? Who are the three or four that they're rotating in there? How many are they going to play? What's going to be on the back end as far as the safeties go for Ohio State? And will they fix some of those problems that it didn't come up in every game, but there were a few games last year. The Indiana one and the Rutgers one stand out in my mind as, especially if you're a betting man, kind of the late covers 
of teams where the oh, Indiana yeah. one maybe had you actually sweating. <laughs> the Rutgers one never really had you nervous, but it was it was deflating in the second half for them to be able to successfully run all those trick plays and kind of not really get back into the game, but close the deficit a little bit. I would like to see Ohio State find a way to keep their their foot on the pedal throughout the entire game, not just offensively, but also defensively and close out an opponent like Minnesota on the road. Right. The secondary too. another area we'll be looking at as obviously a, a point of concern, uh, knowing that you've got uh, a couple of guys, uh, you know, especially seven banks. You know, can can he rise to be a leader this year? Can he really help out this group in the back end? Because if if the secondary again, they don't have to be the best in the land. But man, if you can be at least average to above average, considering where they were last year. Man, is this a, a well-improved unit knowing what your front seven is going to look like, what your front four can look like. Very, very exciting stuff and uh, a lot of talent on display. Can't wait to get it going a week from tonight. Let me ask you this last note on this. As, as we said, a week away from Ohio State kicking off. Today's a Thursday, you might be saying. Well, that's because they play on Thursday. I would hope everybody already knows that. My question to you is, how do you feel about the Thursday game? My opinion the whole time has been that because it's the first game of the year yeah. and it's like still, you know, it's the beginning of Labor Day weekend. Ohio State's played on Thursday to, to start the year. Just a couple of years ago, they played at Indiana or, you know, in 2015, they played at Virginia Tech on a Monday on Labor Day, actually. And I'm OK with it at the beginning of the year. I don't yeah. like it in the middle of the season. That's like amateur hour. I, that's fair, and uh, these guys are not professionals, right? You know, they, yeah. they, that's a different thing in the NFL when you get into week three and you have the short rest week, and and none of these guys professionally have to worry about academics and going to class and and things of that nature. So yeah, I'm fine with it. I kind of like the staggered start. I mean, yeah, all of us uh, we look at week zero, the unofficial start, but it still is a start because first game of the year is Big Ten matchup, mm-hmm. Nebraska and Illinois at one o'clock. So we'll be we'll be watching that. We'll be locked in just to see, uh, obviously, with Nebraska coming under fire with the allegations uh, against Scott Frost. You want to see what Adrian Martinez looks like. And then, uh, you know, Lovey Smith in Illinois. I mean, can they hold on for dear life and this uh, does not turn ugly? It's not Lovey well, Smith. It's Brett Bielema. I'm sorry, Brett Bielema. My <laughs> fault. My fault. Um, yeah, when you see when you see where the, the changes are here as far as that first week, I like the staggered start. I'm okay with that. You get uh, a little bit of an appetizer this Saturday, and then you only have to wait three, four days to get a, a pretty nice menu. But as you said, all eyes uh, will certainly be in Minneapolis at TCF Bank Stadium. And there's not really any other highlights to Thursday. So you get the Buckeyes out of the way. You get to watch that. And then you don't have to worry about it at all Saturday. Yeah. And you just get That's a chance right. to go, here are some of the teams, players, Co- Clemson, coaches, Georgia. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Clemson, Georgia, yeah. Iowa, Indiana, uh, Wisconsin plays Penn State. Those are two big Big Ten matchups. And you just kind of get to take all that in without having to worry about when's the Ohio State game on because that dominates your day when it is on a Saturday, which is a good thing. But sometimes yeah. it's nice to get a little break and be able to take in anything else. Coming up, we'll hear from Brian Hartline. What's going on with the stacked wide receiver room at Ohio State? Rothman and Ice on the fan. Bishop and Laurinaitis, the only radio show equally versed in professional wrestling and co-eds from Billings, Montana. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9. The Fan. It's time to add some spice to your nooner. Nooner. (laughs) Funny. This is the place where big-time guests, bold opinions, and little cute doggies come together. This, this is Rothman and Ice. Rothman and Ice, Chops and J. Lou with you today. I hope you enjoyed our joke segment <laughs> off the top there. This is the true first segment of the show. And we're yeah, we're just going with the with the show opening one more time. So 
Hopefully it, it isn't that rocky when Ohio State plays in a week. And uh, we're, we're looking at a room that I don't expect to have really any rockiness. And it, especially it's really just looking at what can the guys lower on the on the depth chart do because we know what the guys at the top can do. And Brian Hartline says one of those guys at the top has just been so good for them and he's really just Mr. Consistency. I don't think he's doing anything uncommon he hasn't already done but just like when michael jordan hits the shot he just does it more often and i think that uh you know he could always do it in practice i think he's done it more than ever in practice and i can't wait to see it translate to the game i mean it's just uh he operates at a very high level and if you go through and and try to figure out what he can't do uh you, you don't really have a list so he's talking about chris olave right there and Olave is just a guy who goes out there. He does everything you want him to do. He, he he never doesn't show up. And it sounds like he's turned that on to the next level. And it's every rep now. It's every time you can see him do anything. He does it the right way. It's one of the reasons he's a captain. A lot of fun uh, to know that uh, when you've got Garrett Wilson, you've got Chris Olave. I mean, you, you can lead from the top with guys that have been there, done that, especially when you think about the young kids uh, that are going to be pressed into action, you know, probably earlier this year, just from a standpoint that, you know, not getting the reps. And, you know, Maddie and I kind of discussed this yesterday. When you, when you think about the amount of practice, this wasn't just Ohio State, but also a lot of programs around the country, the lack of ability to go through reps you know, in person uh, with pads on uh, to run the routes because all the COVID issues, you know, the walkthroughs. I mean, it, it's one thing to walk through it, Chops, but as we well know, you know, Ryan Day is so good and the staff is so good about getting guys the ability to see it and do it. And I think that is going to be something to watch here in the early going. How much has the practice now benefited the younger guys? And and even even at a Crystal Lobby and a Garrett Wilson to get back into a routine. You know, a lot of the upperclassmen, they're used to routine. Everyone was thrown off last year. So getting back to normalcy, I think, will only augment this extremely talented wide receiver room. And as you mentioned, it's an extremely talented room and they can play all over the field. And that's something Brian Hartline wants out of his receivers is that they, the ability to play multiple positions. Anytime you want to be a receiver, you don't want to be, you I'm know, a- pigeonholed into a certain spot. So that's just value. I could play Chris in any spot. I could play Brian Jackson in any spot as well too. And, and that's just how they're developed. They're not developed to be like, you know, slash players. It's just about being a great receiver and getting the best three guys in, in, uh, in advantageous positions because at the end of the day, if you turn around and go, you know, 12 personnel or you're in a, in a bigger set, uh, those guys that are quote-unquote outside guys become inside guys. And if you're pigeonholed into a certain spot, you're not really that great of a receiver. You might be a good football player, but being multiverse and being uh, multifaceted is what we always strive to be, uh, become. So he talks about having you know the best three guys in the best position, and this is something we've heard throughout this training camp from Ohio State coaches for various different positions: offensive line, uh, running back, they even the quarterback. They've kind of been saying it, but you don't play different positions in quarterback. But the idea that no matter what, they're going to have their best three on the field because they recruit at such a high level and everybody's such a good athlete and everybody's so good at their positions that they should have the ability to play in multiple spots. We've heard it from the linebackers as well because they don't want a situation where, you know, their their third best linebacker gets hurt and they have to put in, you know, their fifth best guy or their fourth right. best. they want the, you know, they they want the top 3 guys that are available always out there at every position. Yeah, love it. And uh, again, when you think about what Jackson Smith and Jigbug is going to be able to do as that third guy, I mean, we project that. 
uh, with Wilson and Olave. And that, find me another three wide receivers that match up like like the the Buck guys are going to round out, and then. To have Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, Emeka Abuka back there, and also Julian Fleming. I mean, those are your backups. And think about those those guys' chops that could be starting in a lot of other Big Ten teams, let alone in some other top twenty five programs across the country. Right. That that's how good this group is. And this group, uh, as good as they are, you know, they still need to prepare for the season. One week out, Brian Hartline says he thinks they're ready for Week One. Pretty darn close to being game ready, if you ask me. I mean, I think that. Uh, you know, you're, you're never, and again, what's game ready? Yeah, based on game one. If we're still game one, then we are game five. Shame on us. So, you know, game ready in comparison to uh, week one, uh, we've done a really good job. And I look for the next week, hopefully, of maximizing the rest of this game plan and then executing at a really high level at the end of the week. But uh, I think we've done a pretty good job. He thinks they've done a pretty good job. Uh, I hope so. Because yeah. I, as I said off the top of this segment, this is a unit that I don't have very many question marks about, but it doesn't mean that they can overlook it and they can't, they can go out there and, you know, kind of goof around this entire, and it doesn't sound like they've been doing that, but it's, these guys have to go out there and still take it just as seriously, even though they, they're probably the most experienced group, maybe other than the offensive line. It, it, on the team they still need to go out there be ready for week one take it all seriously and i think they will and it sounds like coach Harline does too yeah i think he likes where they're at you can kind of hear the calmness in in his voice and and also to know that they're going to have to be a security blanket i think in that first half uh, let's not let's not kid ourselves i mean as talented as, as cj stroud is it's going to be butterflies. Uh, there's going to be some adrenaline there. I mean, he might he might unload a couple of throws. So, you know, you're you're looking at uh, Olave and Garrett Wilson as guys that'll have to get a couple of those maybe you know, circus catches early in this one to calm him down a little bit. But uh, I think simplifying the game plan is going to be something that allows the talent of this receiving core to be able to really exploit the back end of Minnesota's defense, and and that should be able to help open the running game as well. Speaking of C.J. Stroud, here's what Coach Hartline likes about the signal caller for the Buckeyes. He's just been as calm in his poise. Like, I haven't seen any rattle from him. It's just very mature of him. Uh, I think he is able to, you know, hit a throw, be happy about it, miss a throw, move on to the next throw, and then still hold himself accountable. So, uh, you know, our job is to always be in the right spot at the right time and, uh, and, and be uncovered. Uh, I would say that you know CJ absolutely uh, has elevated our game, and uh, you know we we are a better room uh, because of him playing at quarterback. Be in the right spot at the right time and be uncovered. Make it a little bit easier on CJ Stroud because uh, well, I also don't think he's going to be under that much pressure because we know how good this offensive line is. There's going to be something that's going to be troublesome for CJ Stroud. It's hard to pick it out before you see it live in game. But again, the wide receivers are going to be a great way for him to fall back if anything gets a little too difficult because I have a lot of faith in these guys to be wide open, uncovered in the right place. Yep, definitely. Going to be great to, great to see these guys finally go against someone else uh, other than their teammates and, and just see how, how good the results can be. 11 Warriors' Dan Hope joins us next for a breakdown of the Buckeyes as they transition from camp mode to game week mode. Rothman and Ice right here on The Fan. Head to 971thefan.com to listen on demand and subscribe to all our podcasts. Wasting time has never been easier. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. 
If you're tired of hearing about Maddie's high school baseball prowess, just wait five seconds until Anthony tells stories about his amateur tennis days. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. Rothman and Ice right here on The Fan. Chops and J. Lou hanging out with you today. And we're going to head out to the Brian Heating and Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. Talk to a friend of the station and the program, Dan Hope, 11 Warriors senior reporter. Dan, how you doing today? Do we have you, Dan? I'm here. You got me? There we go. <laughs> it's been a it's been a morning so far for us. Or I guess it's the <laughs> afternoon. Whatever. It's been a day uh, for us. But we've got you, so that's good. You know what? I'm just going to start. I'm going to throw it out. I think it's the, the most meaningless thing that's ever been announced by three people who think that they're somehow like making a, a big announcement. Earlier <laughs> this week, we got the news of the Alliance. And then we, we we see this thing, and we're going to talk about this later in the show, but USC and LSU then announce a game, and it's like, so what is the alliance really about? What is it going to do? Is it going to be anything? It doesn't sound like they're going to be able to do it you know, fully until the 2030s anyways. What are your thoughts on the alliance? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right to be skeptical about it actually amounting to much. I mean, the fact that there's no signed contract between uh, these three conferences, the fact that there's no real details about what this alliance is going to entail, uh, you know, I, I think it's there's reason to be skeptical about what all it's going to amount to. You know, I think, you know, I think there's certainly an intention here of, you know, working together on some future, future scheduling arrangements. And, you know, I think, you know, what was reported by uh, Yahoo Sports on Monday night about the possibility that the Big Ten, you know, could potentially schedule annual games against the ACC at Pac-12. I think that's uh, interesting if that's something that ultimately comes to fruition. But I think, you know, un- until there's a signed contract, until there's any, you know, actual details out of this thing, uh, it's hard to know whether it's really going to amount to anything. Dan, hey, it's Jensen. Uh, I know we just uh, talked about uh, Brian Hartline and his comments, not only on the loaded wide receiver position room, but I, I want to touch on a comment he made about C.J. Stroud, and he used the word calmness. Uh, from what you've gathered and seen uh, out of QB1 there, uh, his preparation for what's going to be a, a really massive start uh, in his career uh, in a hostile environment. It, it, your thoughts on what you've seen from him and how prepared he is for a week from tonight? Yeah, I think that's exactly what you see. I think you see a lot of you know poise. You see somebody who doesn't get too high or too low, and and that's what you want in a young quarterback. You know, somebody who's coming in who's never thrown a pass before. I think you want him to be able to you know, handle anything that might come his way. And I just get the vibe from every time I've talked to him that he's not somebody who gets, you know, overly excited or overly emotional. He's somebody who's just, you know, pretty calm and is going to be able to handle the pressure that comes with uh, this job. We're talking to Dan Hope, 11 Warriors senior reporter on the Brian Heating and Cooling Systems fan guest hotline. So, yeah, it's a week from game day. They're going to be in Minnesota, you know, this night, a week from now. Do you get the impression that they've got most of the stuff figured out through camp, or do you think there are any loose ends? You know, who's how the running back rotation is going to go, who's going to be out there and where at linebacker, maybe even the safeties, the rotation of those freshman defensive end. Do you think they've got that all ironed out, or they're still working through it maybe in the next week? I think you'd certainly hope that they have it all ironed out at this point, considering that the game is a week from today, but you know, they're not necessarily going to tell us everything that's ironed out. And certainly there's going to be some things that go into the season. They're still working out. I think 
especially maybe in that back seven on defense. But I think at this point they've got to have a pretty good idea of what their depth chart looks like. Dan, let's uh, let's address the depth chart in, in earnest here. And uh, obviously the secondary has been a point of contention since last year. Uh, through camp now and, and with a week till game day, uh, is is there more confidence uh, from your viewpoint of, of what you've seen through practice? Or is it, all right, we, we know the talent is there. Now we just got to see him put it together on the field. I think there's a lot of confidence. I just think, you know, I think there's a lot of confidence within the Woody Athletic Center. I think for those of us on the outside, we kind of have to see it to believe it because mm-hmm. it's a lot of guys who either played last year on a defense that struggled or it's guys that haven't really played a lot. And so I think... There's definitely confidence within the Woody Hayes Athletic Center that this defense is going to be better, but you know, I, I think I'm still kind of in the camp of i got to see it to believe it. Looking ahead to Minnesota, and Mohamed Ibrahim seems to be the player that everybody has circled. Most people know his name. He's going to he, likely going to be a big-time player, not just for Minnesota this year, but in the Big Ten, maybe in the country. Who's a player as you've been preparing? And, you know, you're in game week now. Have you, as you've been preparing, looking at Minnesota, getting ready for this, this opener, who's a player that you have your eye out for and that maybe we should keep an eye out for? Yeah, I mean, I think Mohamed Ibrahim is the main guy, but I also look at that offensive line. I mean, you just look across the board. These are five guys who are all seniors. They all have a ton of playing experience. And so I think that's going to be a nice test for Ohio State's defense, especially in the run game, going up against such an experienced and also a really big offensive line. Uh, Dan, uh, this is a an intriguing now look at, at the Big Ten of Ohio State and then the rest of the conference uh, we did a little preview of uh, Wisconsin yesterday. Uh, we know that Graham Mertz uh, in year two is going to be a, a very, very interesting follow. Uh, is it Wisconsin the, the the only challenger in your mind, or is a Penn State sort of a live dog? Uh, your kind of assessment now uh, as uh, all these clubs gear up for their first week of action. I look at Indiana. I think Indiana with what they're coming back with, Michael Penix coming back, Ty Freifogel, uh, Mike McFadden on defense. I think they're the team to watch in this conference. I think they could end up being the second best team in the Big Ten with the guys there have coming back and the way Tom Allen's got things cooking there. You mentioned Indiana. They've got a big game week one against Iowa. And you can go out of the conference or give me a Big Ten one and maybe one out of the conference. What games are you most looking forward to besides Ohio State here in the week one? You know, And there's also week zero, I guess, to pick from too. Yeah, I got to go Clemson, Georgia, because I think, you know, when people talk about the teams that could make the college football playoff this year, the conversation for most people starts with Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, and Oklahoma. So to see two of those teams going at it in week one, uh, I can't wait to watch that. Yeah, Dan, let me let me follow up on that because I think when you look at Ohio State and and maybe a couple of uh, guys that are going to be Heisman Trophy candidates, it says a lot that you know C.J. Stroud is you know anywhere from like twelve to sixteen to one uh, to win the Heisman, and I got to believe Chris Olave will have something to say about it, uh, knowing that Devonta Smith uh, you know came literally uh, uh, in the last four to five weeks of the season and, and was able to win that award. Very very difficult to do as a wide receiver, but if anybody can do it. Uh, Olave, it seems, has that talent and, and the ability with the schedule, the way it plays out, to have that impact performance. Uh, it, your, your faith kind of in, in CJ to, to keep 
the starting spot, or do you believe that Ryan Day will find uh, some opportunities here in the first couple of weeks uh, to maybe get a Kyle McCord or some of the other guys in just for you know, some rep purposes? I mean, I think there will be opportunities when games are in hand, but I don't think he's going to try to rotate quarterbacks with the game on the line. Okay. I think for right now it's CJ's job, and if CJ you know plays the way that he's expected to play, I think it's going to be his job. But you know, if he struggles at any point, that could potentially open the door for a Kyle McCord to potentially you know challenge for that job as the year progresses. Dan, thanks a lot for joining us. We're looking forward next week, Ohio State at Minnesota, and we're also looking forward to your coverage on that. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Dan. Yep, thanks for having me. He's Dan Hope, 11 Warriors senior reporter. He appears courtesy of the Bryant Heating and Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. ESPN put together tiers for every team's college football playoff chances. We'll take a look at where teams landed next. Rothman and Ice on the fan. We like football. And if you like football, we highly encourage you to listen to Morning Juice. It's great. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9. The Fan. Smarter than your average sports show. You're listening to Rothman and Ice. Rothman and Ice, sponsored by your local Pella Window and Door showroom on Gemini Parkway. The Fan, Ohio's sports destination. Chops and J. Lou hanging out with you today and tomorrow as we are now in game week for Ohio State. They play next Thursday. The ultimate prize for Ohio State, sure, there's winning the Big Ten title and getting through all that and obviously beating the team up north and you get the little gold pants but the ultimate prize is getting to the college football playoff getting to the national championship and winning it so where do they rank as far as teams and their expectations for the playoff heather dinich put this together for espn and these aren't she called them tiers they're not so much tiers as they are like categories because you could argue about you know as she listed them here i have them in order you know the first uh six or so and there's some that are in these you know so-called lower tiers that i could argue would be better than maybe some or maybe have better chances than some of the teams above them but either way it starts with the usual the usual suspects and that is the usual suspects of alabama clemson ohio state and oklahoma really no arguments with that one that one seems about right that's the you could pencil in the top four every preseason and that'll probably be those guys and it is this year as well yeah, I don't, no surprise there. Uh, I mean, so if you go to to some of the other you know, categories she has, you know, can they beat Alabama, Georgia, Texas A and M, or the two teams that she's listed? I, to me, I, I would favor Georgia uh, more so than I would A and M. Of course, A and M uh, having to replace their their starting quarterback and and also having to go through the West. It's just really difficult. Yeah, it's because uh, Georgia would have to get through Alabama, but it would still be postseason. Because it would have to be in the SEC title game, whereas A&M has to do that during the regular season going through the rest of the SEC West. It, yeah, that no, does seem like a tougher task. No doubt. And and when you think about where Clemson and Georgia will match up in week one, and, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday, you know, Georgia has the better inside track if they were to lose that game to Clemson and then uh, be able to, to roll through uh, the rest. They would obviously have to beat Alabama. But if they do that and uh, and and they're able to win the SEC title game, then they're in uh, because their only loss would be to Clemson, who we would expect would go undefeated. Now, I still don't think that's a foregone conclusion. Still think there's a couple of trouble spots for them. Um, but, yes, I think it can. And that is how, as how Heather Dinich has it listed. I would favor Georgia to beat Bama more than I would A&M.
I think I think an SEC team, the way the committee thinks of the SEC, I think an SEC team could lose all three or four <laughs> of their out-of-conference games, and if they win the SEC still title, probably still make the play. <laughs> Remember last year when Florida lost their fifth game, or was it fourth game, and then they lost in the in the bowl game, whatever. It was their fourth or fifth loss, and they lost to Alabama in the SEC title game, and people were like, yeah, but they played a really good game, and, yeah, right. and they played all these games in the SEC, and it's like, what are we talking about? They have four losses okay so her next tier here is first time hopefuls and this is where it starts to be like okay i get what you're saying but these aren't like tiers imply that like teams are above or or lower than the other teams because you can make a i mean these next three iowa iowa state unc cincinnati definitely first time hopefuls but are they really in a tier lower than texas a&m's chances i don't think so I actually have Iowa State ranked higher than A and M. I'll tell you that right now. I, I think that Iowa State, what Matt Campbell has coming back. I mean, you got two Heisman Trophy hopefuls uh, there on the offensive side, and I believe the way that their style is, it's going to be a little bit more unorthodox uh, than what Alabama would be used to, or uh, even any of the f- top four: Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. And and, and here's the other thing too. A little bit of experience is going to go a long way, I think, this year because of no fans in the stands last year. Remember, there's a lot of young players that came in as freshmen that have never played in big-time college football in front of 8,500,000 people. And, mm-hmm. and hopefully a lot of the atmospheres this year, uh, you know, barring the health protocols, are going to facilitate that. So Iowa State, basically it comes down to can you beat Oklahoma? If you can do that, you're in. Uh, because it really doesn't look like anybody else in the Big 12, and, and that's with all due respect to Texas, who I even have behind A&M. You and don't Florida. need to respect Texas. So yeah, that's okay. I mean, there, there's just, I mean, if you're thinking about the mechanics of, of where she's got these tiers, I would put Ohio State, I would take Texas A&M out of can they beat Bama, and they're not a first-time hopeful, but I would put them in that need-the-12-team playoff category that she yeah. has below that so let's because let's a&m consistently finds themselves just on the glass yep. outside looking in yeah uh, so, when it comes to the playoff so you've got oregon and notre dame in the need the 12 team playoff now and this is uh, let's let's also say the first time hopefuls are north carolina and cincinnati sam howe is going to be incredible for north carolina ty right. chandler coming over is going to be great for them as their their running game and we know that luke fickle will have desmond ritter and company in cincinnati that might be one team you don't want to play you know coming down the stretch because they'll have time to really get things going uh in the aac but i would i would say that you know even a&m could drop down to they need the 12 team playoff bracket when i look at these you know these next what is it seven teams after the usual suspects cincinnati is i think they saved themselves because they have notre dame and indiana on the schedule if they go undefeated and they win that they're gonna have some of you know the one of the best resumes in the country regardless but the one thing they don't have that every other team does have is a chance to play and beat one of these teams on the usual suspects and in georgia's case possibly two you know beating clemson and alabama if they were to meet alabama in the sec title game a&m gets a chance to play alabama every year in their division iowa state might get two shots at oklahoma like they did last year unc does not play clemson in the regular season but would i mean unc and clemson meeting in the uh, acc title game is probably the easiest to predict 
title uh, matchup of the entire season. So all those teams get that chance. Oregon even gets a chance against Ohio State. So then it's looking at Notre Dame and Cincinnati who play each other. So that kind of and, and because Notre Dame plays some other, you know, they've got a they've got a decent schedule every year. Yeah. And Cincinnati's also got Indiana. I think that saves them a little bit, but I don't know. In the eye of the committee, are you going to have to beat one of those teams up here in the usual suspects to really get into the playoff? And that's a question mark that we'll have to see answered at the end of the season. If any of these teams that we've been talking about can beat one of the usual suspects or if those teams are just there standing tall at the end of the year like they are at the beginning. Yeah, and and I'll wrap it with this and and just a thought for people out there because we are a year removed from having significant crowds and and sold out stadiums. Make no mistake about it. 18 to 21-year-old kids are far more influenced by emotion than you know the guys you see playing in the NFL. And and I really feel that that could be something that plays havoc maybe early in the season. Not saying you're going to get an early upset, but you're going to see some scares early that I think as we look at it on paper, you know, last year talent was pretty much going to win. Uh, it was going to be really tough to get a good team off the rails a bit, but you can even see talented teams. And, and again, I keep circling Ohio State. Should they beat Minnesota? Yes, they should. But I'm telling you, the ultimate right. equalizer in college football is playing on the road in conference or playing on the road against a top 25 team that is really good at home, and you're going to have to really play one of your best games. It's the beauty of college football, man. I'm telling you, that that is going to play a role in what this college football playoff ultimately shakes out to be. Especially, as you mentioned, early in the year with the exceptions of I really just Oklahoma. JT Daniels, though, has been around a long time, so I guess I'll throw yeah. Georgia in there as well. But those other four, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Texas A&M, they're first-time starting quarterbacks. Clemson, at least DJ, had the game against uh, Notre Dame. Dame last year yep. under the light, so he's got a little bit of experience there. And that was a practically full crowd. Um, it was. So <laughs> he's got that going for him, but it's still not the, the, the weight of an entire season under your belt. And so right. now you're talking about guys who, even when they were on the team last year, maybe experiencing some some road travels, but especially you know for like a guy like C.J. Stroud, he's never ran out into a hostile environment, and now he's doing it and he's going to be under center for the first time. So, yeah, the beginning of the year is going to be really interesting to see not just, you know, how good and talented these guys are, but how they can handle it, you know, in between their ears mentally. Heading into the last weekend of the preseason games, where do the teams with QB questions stand? We'll break that down next. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Always imitated, never duplicated. Your heritage sports talker and flagship home for Ohio State athletics. The fan, Ohio sports destination. Sports talk, well done. Just like Maddie enjoys his steak, you're listening to Rothman and Ice. Rothman and Ice right here on The Fan. Chops and Jensen Lewis here on a Thursday, one week from Buckeye football. And uh, still a couple of weeks from NFL football. But we've had the preseason to at least hold us over a little bit. I found this. This happened to me on Monday. I, I'm not like fully in the swing of things like the NFL schedule kind of being back and they had an actual Monday night football game. It was the what the the Saints and the Jaguars on Monday. And both these teams are going to come up here in in this segment, but the I missed the beginning of that game and then I was on Twitter around like 9:30 or something and I saw people tweeting about it and I was just like, "Ah, it's a preseason game. What's the point of 
joining it late, so I just I just didn't watch any of it. <laughs> That's how I, I went about that. But I, I'm I, I got to get back into that. Like remember that oh there's there's Thursday night football to watch. Obviously next week that'll be easy to remember. But you know you got the NFL Thursday night, some college games sprinkled in there. You've got Monday night football. Get back in the, those rhythms to know when to t- you know turn the TV off, whatever I'm streaming, and turn it on to ESPN or Fox or whatever's playing the game. Yeah, you've got actually starting Wednesday next week uh, at least one game every night. Obviously Thursday, uh, the big menu. <laughs> Friday, there'll be uh, some games, and then Saturday gets you going. So it's upon us, man. feels like it's been forever, but uh, looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've been trying to get my wife to allow me to get a, a second smaller TV. We don't have to get another you know, 50-inch <laughs> or, or plus, but a second one permanently in the living room. And I'm like, what about over on this wall? And she's like, well, we're going to put a painting or something on that wall. And I said, well, when we're not watching football, we can just put a picture of a painting on the TV and that works and she said no to that and then I said okay what if we mount you know a, a smaller 32 inch TV or so above the 50 inch TV then they're just on the same wall and she's like that'll look stupid and I was like well you don't have to have two things on all the time just during football season I, ju- I just don't think I'm going to win the argument you will not win that one I'll go ahead and save you the time do you have any two TV setups anywhere? I do. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, I, I have, uh, 255 curved Samsungs. Oh, wow. For, for football season. So one, usually on, uh, on Brown Sunday, uh, the game with the audio, uh, has the Browns game. And then on the other one is red zone. So, uh, you can kind of keep track of everything. Big survivor player. So got to keep, got to yeah. keep abreast <laughs> of everything that's going on. So yeah. Yeah. You know, for a day of the week. You know, you need a little uh, elbow grease to move the TV in and out of the living room. Well, it's, now TVs a- also are so easy to move. It's not, you don't yeah. have to like split cable and so you can TV. figure out. Yeah. Something, yeah. Oh man, tube TVs. That Remember was, moving those? Forget about it. <laughs> uh, we, when my parents finally upgraded to like the the flat screen HD TV, we had this big, you know, Sony tube TV that's in the basement, and it's in the basement now for over ten years because once it got down there, we were just like, it's, it's down it's there. Done. It's <laughs> we're, done. We're not yep. bringing it back up. It was no, yeah. No. Those things were way too heavy, and now you can just put a TV. You can put a fifty inch TV under your arm practically and carry it like it's a stack of books. Crazy. Okay, so looking that we're heading into the last week of the preseason, only three games this year, unless you're the Steelers or the Cowboys, and here are the teams that I've listed, and let me know if there were any more that popped into your head, but here are the teams that I'd listed for had quarterback questions going into preseason. Maybe they've answered them. Maybe they brought them upon themselves. Looking at you, Jaguars, with the weird comments from Urban throughout that, because they probably didn't really have any questions, but I put them on this list because supposedly there was an open competition. But here are the teams I have. The Bears, the Bengals, the Jaguars, the Broncos, the Saints, the 49ers, and the Patriots. All teams at some point, either before the preseason, during the preseason, or maybe they've already answered it, but at some point had a question mark around who's going to be the starting quarterback for them. I think uh, I think the one that is the most intriguing uh, just because of of what the information we've learned the last couple of days is the Patriots mm-hmm. uh, with Cam Newton and the COVID issues. So Mac Jones, just by default, might have to start that game against the Dolphins. We'll just wait and see. I think the 49ers situation with Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance is closer uh, than what might have been reported. Uh, I know Jimmy G is still the leader in the clubhouse, but I'm, and I'm I think Shanahan's sure. out there saying like he's not really sure what they're yes. going to do right now. Yeah. So and yeah, that that to me is screaming like we really like Trey Lance. We <laughs> really like what we're seeing. The one that I think is put to bed, and we asked Shefty about this yesterday, is the Saints. 
Uh, it, he he believes that it'll be Jameis Winston, no no doubt about it. I think and, that's and, the right choice. Yeah, and to his credit, though, Chops, when you when you watch it, I've I've been able to see just the bits and pieces of it. I'll fully admit I haven't watched a ton of the Saints this preseason, but when you think about what that team needs, and to know that if you're going to have a productive Alvin Kamara, you've got to show defenses you can throw the ball down the field or have a quarterback competent enough to complete balls. 15, 20 yards down the field. Now, maybe maybe that uh, Taysom Hill will be able to show this uh, as we move forward. Mm-hmm. But, I, man, i got to tell you, the way that Jameis has played, it's to his credit, he has won that job. And and let's see what kind of happens. Now, you got a stiff test right out of the gate at home against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, no, no question. But I think that gives them a little more leeway to be able to keep defenses honest instead of, you know, if I was the Packers, I knew Taysom Hill was starting. That's eight men in the box. I'm taking Kamara out of the game. You're going to have to show me that you can throw to a depleted wide receiver core without Michael Thomas. I just think that's the way that, that I would go about it if I were the Packers knowing Taysom Hill would start. So those are the three that I looked at from your list here. Um, the other ones, we, we, we had the announcements about it. It may be an honorable mention with the Bears. And, and <laughs> so many people are going to be like, if Andy Dalton goes – Three and out on the first two drives. <laughs> All he's done is gone three and out. They'll be screaming, get Justin Fields in there. Especially if Justin goes in there and he plays <laughs> with, I don't know if they're going to play any of their ones or what it's going to look like in this third preseason game, but he gets to at least get the start. Maybe he'll see some of the ones out there alongside him and hopefully especially on the offensive line because he's uh, he's taken, he's been under some pressure for them, but he still had those moments where he just does things that you're like, only Justin could do that right now. At least, yes. I mean, at least not Andy Dalton couldn't do that. That's right. the way, it, that's the way it looks like. And yeah, he's one of those special players who just, you know, yeah, he's a rookie. He's going to make mistakes. It's not going to be perfect, but there's just those, those, those little sparks where you go, that's what you need to succeed in the NFL. So that one's big. You, you were talking about the Saints. We had Mike Renner of PFF on Bishop and Laurinaitis the other week week and they were asking him about Jameis Winston and what's going on down in New Orleans and Mike Renner laid it out well you've got two guys competing for quarterback one of them can throw and the other one can't <laughs> there you go so I mean, if that's not an indictment on on Taysom Hill then I don't know what is yeah that's pretty cut and dry and I mean that's from a PFF guy so I mean these aren't you know this isn't just a hot take artist this is those guys look at film and they know what they're looking at and they study it all the time so when you hear that from from them that's uh that's an opinion i'm i'm willing to concede to on that and it looks like Jameis is going to take that then it's the question is Taysom hill going to be used in the same way what are they going to do with him has he been training i can't remember where i heard this maybe it was Schefter with you guys i don't remember but some you know Taysom hill hasn't quite been training up to the the level he would the last few years because he's been yeah. training to be a quarterback. So he might be a little bit leaner. Will he be able to serve in that same role right out of the gate? Or is he going to have to bulk up a little bit now throughout the first few weeks of the season? If he's not the starting quarterback and he wants to get back to, you know, just a little more meat on the bones when you're actually running out there in, you know, in the flats or, you know, taking handoffs, whatever he does. Yeah. I think they may limit, they may limit him early in the first couple of weeks, just in case, Jameis Winston is is not as effective as he's been in the preseason, and and I think Sean Payton would be would be very uh, uh, smart uh, to to do that. Here's another idea to throw at you, and and you know I, I know that we'll talk about it here coming up about the Jaguars and some players not liking Urban Meyer's style uh, so far. Um, 
you go from that aspect to the Denver Broncos and Teddy Bridgewater being named. Yeah. Teddy Bridgewater's record, just from a wagering perspective, uh, against the spread as a road dog, as an underdog overall, uh-huh. is absurdly good. <laughs> absurdly good. And think about that core. Maddie and I went through uh, a list of, of some of the top young cores uh, surrounding their quarterbacks. And and Drew Locke and, and the Broncos were actually up there. So substitute Teddy Bridgewater. And this is in the same stead. I think they were, I think they were number one. Number I saw, one. I looked through that list, and I was like, oh, maybe this is something we could use. I, I didn't know that you guys had already used it, but I got to it, and I got to number one was the Broncos. And I was like, and it listed, Drew Locke was the first name up there, and I was like, well, that doesn't make much sense right. anymore. <laughs> but now think about with Teddy Bridgewater. I'm going to use this in the same idea with Jameis and Taysom Hill. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater, an incredibly accurate accurate quarterback uh and now that upgrades the receivers where you had jerry judy you have Corlin sutton kj hamler from penn state uh and then you've got javante williams who's going to come in and help out with melvin gordon throw so it to noah fan at the yeah, tight end position Fant, as well right. yeah all of a sudden that offense looks very serviceable and potential breakout candidate like that's a team in the fourth quarter because you know that uh a teddy two gloves can cover the spread i mean uh, good teams win great teams cover I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is going to upgrade that offense, I think, in a way maybe a lot of people have not seriously taken to heart. Yeah. They're going to, I think they're going to surprise some people early on because he's efficient. He makes good reads on third down. They're talented enough moving. that a player like Teddy, like it's sort of like the exact opposite of the Bears, where I think the Bears really do need, you know, that that spark plug type player of Justin Fields who can do things that are, are unique to him and really, you know, jumpstart the offense. Whereas I think the Broncos have enough talent around it that if you can have a player who, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater and Andy Dalton to me seem like the same. They're not the same player. They're different styles and everything, but the same like level of quarterback service starter can probably get you to the playoffs and then I don't I don't know from there but maybe something can happen and especially with the Broncos with a team that's actually talented it's definitely going to give them a successful uh, at least in my eyes a successful regular season to have that level of talent at quarterback for them because yeah. they've got so much around them yeah I totally agree mm-hmm. back to the 49ers because you mentioned that one and I think that one's really interesting and it's I do not like this idea they've been throwing around where they might have ways to use both of them because it doesn't the way they've been playing them is like it is sore is a pseudo competition with Garoppolo kind of being the you know the penciled in starter. So I don't like the idea of Trey Lance coming in and working through like just normal quarterback play. When you have two quarterbacks, you have none, the old cliche. It, if it was something, you know, in the Taysom Hill variety where he was coming in and he had set packages or there was, you know, some sort of gimmick to it, that kind of stuff I can live with. And, and I think there, there are ways to manage that when you have a player that can offer you a few different things and you can just run a few different sets to give your, you know, keep the defense honest and the different things to look at. But when you're just like, I don't know, alternating possessions or you're going to go back and forth throughout the game or randomly decide which quarterback. I just don't like that idea. And I know it's something based on what they've been saying out of their camp that it's it's been tossed around that that could be a, a solution for the 49ers. And I just don't like that at all. There, There's something to be said that they have gone this long without naming Jimmy Garoppolo their starting quarterback. I, I think that is... Especially that with is, the verbiage they've used around Garoppolo the whole time. Like, he's our guy, or like, he's the guy here right now. and Like, stuff that, like, sort of sounds like stuff you'd say about your starter, but without saying he's the starter. 
and knowing the offensive weapons that, that they're going to be able to deploy there and the health of that defense getting back. I mean, you think about the amount of guys that were hurt for the 49ers defense last year. is a big reason why they struggled. And, and then, of course, uh, the uh, attrition that they suffered offensively. I mean, it was one of the more injury-ravaged teams in all the NFL. Yeah, so, The 49ers uh, are an NFC championship caliber team. But you could mess it all up by not figuring out the quarterback situation correctly. So I think that just tells you, as as we kind of move forward here, that they really, really like Trey Lance. And mm-hmm. they like, not to say he's he's Patrick Mahomes in waiting, but he's got that kind of athletic ability. Now it's a matter of, can he make the throws? Can he make the reads? Uh, this, this, to me, smells a lot like the Bears situation. If Jimmy G... Is you know zero and two out of the gate. Not saying the 49ers should lose to the Lions at the beginning of the season, <laughs> but if it if it is not what they're thinking and humming along, will not be surprised if Kyle Shanahan makes a quick hook. Trey Lance is the next Pat Mahomes. Jensen Lewis, you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. We we've wondered how Urban Meyer's style would gel with NFL players. We'll report. Yeah, I just wanted to bring this up because I saw this from Jordan Schultz. I believe he's over at ESPN, but he's saying there's some growing buzz inside the league circles that 49ers could start Lance over Jimmy Garoppolo. Ooh, oh, my God. So there, there we go. go. The, the reports. <laughs> and where would those reports be coming from? So usually around this time of year uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. We'll, but we'll have to keep an eye on the 49ers. We've wondered how Urban Meyer's style would gel with NFL players. We'll reportedly it hasn't been thrilling some jags more on that next rothman and ice on the fan the only radio station still operating with an active booze cart i'm drunk right now no i'm not yes i am the fan ohio sports destination two guys who love a good fantasy draft you're listening to rothman and ice Rothman and Ice, Chops and Jensen Lewis hanging out with you today. We were just talking about quarterback situations going into their third preseason game. The Jaguars, they finally made the smart move, and they officially named Trevor Lawrence the starter. Shocking no one, but I will be honest. I said this to T-Bone yesterday when I was on Command and T-Bone. There was a little piece in the back of my head that was a little worried that like Urban was going to out Urban himself and somehow like create this into an actual quarterback competition when it's not even there, but it's just going to drag out and it's just going to be weird. But no, they 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 did the right thing. Trevor Lawrence is your starter in Jacksonville, but it might not be the end of controversy or things not going so well. They haven't looked great, even as good as Trevor Lawrence is, and there there have been the there have been the bright spots for him that you you see it. You go, yeah, this is why this guy was so good at Clemson. This is why he was the number one overall pick. He's he he looks like he's going to be a dude here in the NFL. But how are things going for the rest of the Jags? It's not a very talented team, so it's really hard to to know exactly where they should be. I mean, they only won one game last year. But there are some reports now that there are Jaguars players not thrilled with Urban Meyer's coaching techniques. This was from CBS Sports Pete Prisco on the DA show, I believe, yesterday. He's got to change a few things. He brought a bunch of college-like things to the program, which I don't necessarily agree with, and I've heard some of the players aren't thrilled with him either, including having a microphone on the field. One of his assistants on the field during practice with a boom mic telling everybody to hydrate and hustle and get to the next period. I, <laughs> I, I Yeah, I, I don't know. I've never, you know, I've never been in an NFL training camp and know exactly what it should be like but i do know enough to know that there is a difference in how you have to treat college players versus nfl players and the the amount of autonomy you give them and treating them you know there's 
There's not so much my way or the highway in the NFL. Some guys have been able to pull it off, but it's not the easiest thing to do. And it has to come with winning and a, and a winning culture. Usually it's usually not something a, a coach can do when a team isn't good. And the, the Jaguars still have their chance to become good under, under Urban Meyer, but it doesn't sound like it was okay. It doesn't look like it's going great. And it sounds like there might already be some strains between coaching practices and the players. I think it's uh, you're getting towards the, that portion of camp where you're also like, all right, let's play some games that mean yeah. something. So I, I I could understand maybe a little Groundhog Day feeling here, and and you want to get into it's like the end of vacation where things are just starting to annoy you because you've been around, even though they're you know you're with your friends, you're with your family, people you love, but you've just been around them all week the entire time, and you're kind of just ready to go back to the 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 real meat of your life, get back to work, and do the real thing. Yeah, so we'll see kind of where it goes, but I think ultimately, you know, having been through uh, multiple big league spring trainings, you know, there's uh, and, and a few different coaching staffs. You know, there's things you like, there's things you don't. We're all human beings, um, but but there there is a respect level that I think some of these guys, because let's face it, some of these guys returning, it's like Irving can go back and like, listen, you won one game last year trust me whatever you thought was good and and felt comfortable was not working so we're going to try something different yeah definitely the response yeah isn't like well we did it this way last year well had last year go yeah right so i think he'll be i think he'll be fine and i think he'll again winning cures all ills right if they go out and they win week one uh he'll probably get a little bit more buy-in and uh as as you continue to play well i'm not saying they're going to be gangbusters and go win uh the afc south but the better you play, the more you're going to buy into you know the coaching mindset and, and how he wants to go about things and and the process there. So does it surprise me? You know, in year one, I mean, I, I think you could go back to every coach who's been in year one, and there's probably been some dissension in the ranks. Some players are like, oh, "This is stupid. Why are we doing this?" And then uh, you know you get to the opening you know season or you get to the opening week of the regular season, and that stuff starts to shake out. You mentioned the winning early, and I think that's something they're really, really going to need. It doesn't even have to turn into a full-on successful season, and I don't think the Jaguars are going to be very good. But if they can find a way to make those first yeah, three or four weeks a, a, a winning record and, and they feel good about themselves, and there might be some players going, okay, I see the, I see the result of what we went through with Coach Meyer in the, in the preseason. But if they don't get those wins and it doesn't turn around at any point in the season – that gets me a little nervous of, of how is this going to go? Is is Urban Meyer going to be able to change some of his ways to to make it more appropriate for the NFL style, or is it just gonna is it just not going to work? It, it's they need something to turn it around, or whether that is a change in style from the coaching staff and how how they're running things, or for like you said, the results to come. If it doesn't, that gets me nervous about the future of Urban and being an NFL coach. I think you got to let him get through year one. I think you have to have the positives and the negatives with how he's uh, going to go about his business and and what kind of mentality he wants to infuse into this group. Remember, this, this is still a really young team. Uh, there are some veterans that they brought in, and, and of course, uh, those guys have been through a couple of different organizations and seen how things work. Is there going to be some acclimation period to you know how the NFL works versus the Big Ten and college football? Of course, but you know you, you don't have this this amount of track record of winning and successfully building programs as Urban 
has had uh, at the collegiate level and not have some ideas that are going to translate. Now, how fast those happen, that's going to be on how he adjusts because mm-hmm. that, that'll be his biggest challenge this year is how quickly week in and week out can he adjust. If he is close uh, to league average in that category or maybe even a tick above that, I think you see Jacksonville start to compete a bit earlier. Again, not saying this year, but maybe you see the growth in the last three to four weeks all come together and really start to be able to buy into this group in 2022. Yeah, they need some sort of bright spot in this season for the for the players to, you know, yeah, buy in, say, okay, coach, we trusted you. We we know where you came from with with your winning ways, and now we're seeing the results, and that'll build the trust going forward. And then hopefully it'll start to maybe bring in some of those free agents because I know Urban didn't really like the way free agency went because he likes really getting his hands on, you know, recruits and talking to them and convincing them to come play for them. It doesn't quite work like that in the NFL, but winning does all that for you. So if they can find a way to make it look like they're on the right track, next year could go smoother. We'll have to keep an eye on it, and we'll have to see what uh, other things get leaked out of their camp throughout the season. Dalton Miller, lead analyst for the Pro Football Network, joins us next to break down the last week of the preseason and more. Rothman and Ice on the fan. It's time to get a master's class in all things Ohio State and Big Ten football. Join Skip Mossick, Paul Keels, and Jim Lachey for Buckeye Roundtable. Monday night at 6. The Fan. Joggers or sweatpants. Either way, one size fits all. This is Rothman and Ice. Rothman and Ice here on the fan. Chops and J. Lou hanging out with you today and tomorrow. We were talking about Urban Meyer and how his style might not quite be gelling with uh, the Jaguars players down there. And they've still got a a third preseason game to figure this out. And then they've got the rest of the regular season. So I'm not too worried about it. And we're going to get a chance, hopefully, to talk to uh, Dalton Miller about this and other things going on. As far as the preseason has gone, have there been any other storylines you know we talked a lot about the quarterbacks and and things going on there have been any other storylines that have stood out to you so far this preseason jensen you there yeah gotcha so i think the other thing that uh, has stood out to me as far as uh besides the quarterback competitions i think when you look at some of these new head coaches uh and some of these programs and particularly you know you go to robert sala and the new york jets right uh, with zach wilson and and even how that group has looked uh as far as uh the ability on offense to move the ball we know he's a defensive minded coach and and all the great things that he did with the 49ers that to me is an intriguing team in that division just because Miami uh, really made uh, you know some steps in the right direction last year. We know that Bill Belichick uh, and the Patriots are going to try and find a way uh, to, to be able to win 9, 10 games. Can they do that with a revamped defense? I think they can. And, of course, we'll focus on what Mac Jones uh, might have to do in the early going if Cam Newton has to miss time uh, with the COVID issues. But I think that's I think that's the one thing I look at. I mean, Detroit is. I don't think we're going to really be hearing a ton from Detroit <laughs> yeah. this year because that's just a it's just a bad roster. That's just what it is. So that, that's the, always the other thing I look at early in the season is these new head coaches coming in, uh, the dynamic they have with their group, and then the division they play in. I mean, imagine if you were a new head coach coming into the NFC West this year. Good God. I mean, good luck. Uh, it would have been really, really tough uh, to have some early success there. So we'll wait and see. But, yeah, I, I think that's the, the other thing I look at here besides the quarterback competitions. You mentioned the Lions, and that brings me to their division. I believe the 
the Vikings have only scored something like nine offensive points yeah. in the preseason so far, and that's troublesome because, you know, and this isn't a debate on, you know, the, whether or not you should or whatever. It's just the fact that because of the NFL rules, Kirk Cousins and Kellen Mond not being vaccinated could be troublesome for them in the way they've looked offensively in the preseason with the second or third team guys in uh it doesn't bode well for how that team's going to look because they're a team that if Kirk Cousins is there and the the talent is, I think there for them that they could be they could be good and they could be maybe competing up there with the Packers for the division because I don't think the Bears are going to be there and as you said the Lions aren't going to be very good but if Kirk Cousins and they have to deal with that that oh he's out this week because you know he had a close contact with somebody whatever it might be it's just going to be such a difficult year for them because if you can't rely on your quarterback being there how do you game plan and how do you figure all that out? Mm. Uh, you know, and something else to throw at you too, and we didn't get a chance to touch on it. Um, got uh, quarterbacks coming back from injury, and I know we talked a little bit about Joe Burrow yesterday and, and the decision to play him for probably a limited amount of series. What do you think and about was, that? Yeah, I, I, I like that. I, I think you have to have it. I think you have to have that. Yeah. for the for the mere peace of mind for Joe Burrow going in because you it's so difficult to simulate game tempo. And and when you're asking a guy, I know they open at home. They open against the Vikings. It's Mike Zimmer coming back to town, and and you know obviously being the head coach there in Cincinnati for a long time. I think uh, I think you have to understand there's an ability here uh, for for Joe Burrow to to put some you know anxiousness to bed by just getting out there and and letting it rip a little bit you know feeling the pressure being able to get the ball out of his hands early and and just get back to game tempo i think it's the right decision and that way when he takes his first hit whether it be in the preseason or if it's in the, that first game against uh the Minnesota Vikings he's already had a couple of series with his group in a game situation. It reminded me of this. I saw somebody talking about the Justin Fields situation, and they're like, well, maybe, you know, they play the Rams week one. Maybe they're trying to save him from Andy Dalton. And it's like, well, what does save him? I mean, there's Anna. Yeah, or, I'm sorry, Aaron, Aaron Donald. Andy Dalton is on the team. Yeah, you, okay. Trying to save him from Aaron Donald in playing the Rams. And it's like, well, I think it was a PFF guy, but he was just pointing out that like, what does it mean to hide people in the, in the NFL? Yeah. Aaron Donald is like the best, but it's not like there's not other defensive players that the bears could see this year who could hit Justin Fields hard and, you know, take him down for a sack, all that kind of stuff. So what's the point of hiding it? Like, like with Joe Burrow. Yeah. I don't want him out there unnecessarily, but I think a, a series or two get out there full game speed. He's not just dealing with, you know, getting back up and being ready physically, but also mentally coming back from an injury is tough. So why not get those jitters out? And you're right. Maybe even the first hit, get that out of the way in the preseason in a game that doesn't matter for him, because eventually he's going to have to line up behind this offensive line and they're going to have to protect him. So yeah, we don't want the whole, we don't need to play the whole game for him, but it would be nice to, to get him some snaps. Another thing, and I was saying this to T-Bone yesterday, I, uh, maybe it'll help jumpstart get Jamar Chase back on on the right track because you know there's been some reports that and we've seen it in the in the preseason game too that it, you know a little a little dropsy problem for him maybe the the chemistry that he shares with Joe Burrow going back to their days at LSU getting out there you know and it calms him down a little bit to to really feel you know and know something about the quarterback who's tossing him the ball that can be helpful and the the Bengals need all the help they can get to get on the, the right track i think they can be a good team but they kind of need things to go right for them 
Yeah, uh, and uh, again, uh, when you look at you look at just the landscape these first couple of weeks, I mean, there are some solid matchups uh, that uh, are probably going to dictate a lot in terms of uh, you know seeding. Uh, look at the I know we talked about the Chiefs a little bit yesterday. The, they're opening like four. Actually, let me take that back. They're opening seven to eight weeks. Chops. If you look at their schedule, is as daunting a schedule as any team faces. And and this is a Super Bowl contender. This is a team a lot uh, of people in the AFC believe can get back there. But you've got the Browns. You've got the Ravens. I mean, those are the first two games out of the shoot. Yeah. And 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 those are three of the top four teams in the AFC. They're got to play the Bills in the first half of the season. Uh, the Chargers, who I, I think are going to give them a run for their money in the division. It is it is not going to be easy. Uh, easy peasy for them. They're going to have to earn every win they get, at least in the first eight to nine weeks. Yeah, because, I mean, you look at that. They've got at Eagles and at Washington, so that might be a little bit easier for them. Maybe that's helpful. Is that their crossover then, that that NFC East? Yeah, but so even, that helps them out a little bit. But Yeah, even Washington, though, going up against that defense, I mean, that, that is no pushover whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, especially reworking their offensive line. We'll have to see if that's yeah. something that, that they've figured out. I'm seeing this. Uh, have you seen this report here that Sean Wade might be on the move? So the Ravens are reportedly close to trading Sean Wade to the Patriots. So I'm not sure what the compensation would be. I'm assuming some sort of you know lower pick. He was just a fifth-round pick this year, so it's probably going to be something kind of in that range. But uh, earlier today, I saw a, a, you know one of those infographics from Pro Football Focus, and they were saying that Sean Wade, is he has allowed a zero passer rating in the preseason so far this year. I'm not sure exactly how many you know targets he's you know been the primary cornerback on or anything like that, but still, something there. He's a guy who we knew had... NFL talent, but he was a little bit exposed on the outside last year for Ohio State. So the Patriots, they are really good at working their game plan for what they need week in and week out. So maybe seeing Sean Wade on the Patriots, different places they can line him up and just using the talents that he does possess, which are pretty good when he's when he's in the right position, and maybe they can really find a way to make him work. I think that's exciting for Sean Wade. Yeah, and, and we know Bill Belichick, uh, the defensive wizard that he is, will find ways to make Sean Wade an impact guy. Uh, that is, again, there's another defense. We talked about the 49ers and, and the issues that they had from the injury front. You know, you had a lot of, of the New England Patriots guys opt out last year. So they were already undermanned before they began the season. So to get back some guys, bring some over in free agency, and now with the, the addition of Wade and the, and the, uh, the backfield of, of that defense, oof. It that that's a team you just can't overlook this year, and that's regardless if Cam Newton or Mac Jones are, are playing quarterback. I just think Belichick is going to be on a mission, and he is going to do everything in his way. the The tinker master, the tweak man, he's going to take away your strength, and now hopefully with a a fully uh, a revamped e, uh, defense and and guys back uh, that did not opt opt out with COVID. Uh, that'll be a fascinating team to watch as well. I do feel like Belichick kind of gets that Brady rule where you know it was somewhat easy the last, maybe the last two years or so to to start to write off Brady. Like maybe it was it was finally there, but uh, you know then he brings his team back to the Super Bowl. I figure until Belichick has two or three you know questionable or bad years in a row, 
you probably shouldn't write him off whenever he's the head coach of a team. Since it's the Buckeye Bulletin up next, you can probably guess who has the best record against the spread in college football. But we'll tell you anyways. Rothman and Ice right here on The Fan. If you miss a Buckeye game, it's because your radio is in tune to the right place. Always and forever your home for the Buckeyes. The Fan. Ohio's sports destination. Rothman and Ice present... Sponsored by Logan AC and Heat Services. Feeling the heat? Call the experts at Logan Services now for hot deals on train systems, including 0% APR for 60 months. Chops and J. Lou coming at you with the Buckeye Bulletin here today on Rothman and Ice. And I I wanted to throw this one in here because I know you're a man who who likes the gambling. You mentioned Teddy Bridgewater and how good he does against the uh, when he's an underdog and when he's a road underdog, especially. And so here's another one that I'm sure people would be happy to hear. And this one, it reminds me of every week during the football season. This happens. I've got a group chat with some of my college roommates. Some of my buddies in there. And every week, the line comes out for Ohio State. And pretty much every week, it's something ridiculous, right? It's something minus 21, minus 24 and a half, whatever it might be. Something that you're just like, huh, I mean, probably, but I don't know. That just seems so large. But no, I've got every week, I've got a couple of friends who just go, Hammer it. Hammer hammer the Buckeyes. Don't care what the spread is. It could go up. They're still they're still ready to hammer it. Well, it appears that that might be an okay thing to do because Ryan Day is 14 and 6 against the spread. Now that's 20 games that he has. That's a 70% win percentage against the spread and they put this list together that you've coached a minimum of 20 games. So he just got to that mark at 14 and 6. That is the best among college football coaches. The next one uh, closest to him is Kansas State's Chris Kleeman, 68.2%. He's 15-7 and seven against the spread, so just a, you know, a one- or two-game difference right there. Louisiana, Billy's Napier, who comes up every, you know, the last couple of years, and he'll probably be up again for the coaching carousel. He's 64.7% against the spread at 22-12. and 12. But what do you say, Jay Lou? Does that make you feel pretty good about Ryan Day? Are you going you gonna to hammer no matter what the Buckeye line is? I don't. I don't know if week one we can do that. Just because I I need to see C.J. Stroud in a game. I need to see how uh, he's going to respond, especially on the road. Uh, if that game was at home, then perhaps I'd I'd feel a, a bit safer. Still not saying I would jump in there. But what is the line uh, at? I think it's at uh, it's sixteen, maybe. Okay, maybe it's down to fourteen. Uh, but either way, I mean, two touchdowns on the road with a. Uh, guy making his first start uh, with a full stadium. I I need to I need to kind of see it to believe it first. Again, not saying that Ohio State's in any danger of not winning this game, uh, but as far as covering, it's going to be uh, that's going to be a pass for me in week one. I need to I need a little eyeball test and then we'll go from there. Well, if you just you know according to this list, if you just bet Buckeyes to cover every week, yeah, you'll win seventy percent right. of the time. That's exactly <laughs> that's right. how you should interpret those numbers. This is not actual gambling advice. This is for <laughs> entertainment purposes only. Yes. Moving on, we heard from Coach Brian Hartline earlier in the show. How about the guys who are actually going to be catching the ball for uh, Ohio State? Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, they also had a chance to talk to the media yesterday. Here is Olave on building a rapport with a with a guy like C.J. Stroud, who is now going to be his starting quarterback. C.J. is a, a, a rare talent, I believe. Uh, he's from California, just like me. So we just been working a lot this all season, uh, trying to get timing down, chemistry down. Uh, a lot of extra work, uh, early work, uh, late night work. So 
uh, just trying to build that chemistry. And uh, uh, his, his arm talent is off the charts, so uh, he's going to put the ball there where we need it. Uh, we just got to make plays on outside. At the end of last season, C.J. Stroud looked like the leader in the clubhouse to be the next starting quarterback for Ohio State with Justin Fields headed off to the NFL. A guy who could have been headed off to the NFL was Chris Olave. He decided to come back for his senior year. When he did that, a lot of people, and I think they correctly predicted, not only that C.J. Stroud was going to be the starter, but that Olave must feel really good about what he's seen from C.J. Stroud. And, you know, based on those comments there, he he sounds like a guy who's confident that C.J. Stroud can hook him up with the ball so that he can work, hopefully get his draft stock up a little bit higher, even though it was already, you know, what, mid-first-round grade? Yeah, I think so. Uh, when you when you understand where that that skill set is, and um, you know, I think a lot of people are looking at. All right, you had Justin Fields uh, as uh, one of the top quarterbacks last year. How does he do uh, with a CJ Stroud or, or uh, anyone else that comes after him? Possibly, it, it, that would solidify uh, me as an NFL front office to say, all right. Doesn't matter who's spinning the pill. This guy can absolutely get it done. So I think that's something you watch for early on this season. Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Egbuka, they just keep adding to this Ohio State wide receiver room. Brian Hartline, just such a good recruiter, consistently adding top 100 players in the wide receiver room. Here's Chris Olave on uh, what he's seen from the freshman wide receivers this year. They're always in, always in the building, uh, especially in the summer. Uh, they'll come back, get some work in, get on the jugs, uh, run some extra routes. Uh, always here at nighttime, always in the woody, uh, always trying to get better. Uh, uh, Marvin's going to be great. Uh, I can't wait. I can't wait for the, the nation to see all that. Uh, he he uh, play a lot as a freshman. Uh, Mecca and uh, JB, it's going to be fun watching them in the next couple of years. So I can't wait uh, for them to fall. I like the way he starts it. Always in the building. These guys, they come in. They know what's expected. They they show up. They start working. They know to get to the level to be like a Garrett Wilson or a Chris Olave. You've got to keep working. Oh, you were a top 100 receiver. Well, now you're last on the depth chart here at Ohio State. Get to work. Yeah, and that's the way it should be, right? you got to earn your, your keep. And uh, it doesn't matter if it's at the collegiate or professional level. I, and that's what's fostered. You know, Brian Hartline's ability to not only recruit because guys, guys are going to know they're coming in and they're going to be up against some of the most talented guys in the in- entirety of the country. So iron sharpens iron, right? You know, the, the cliche there. I think that's a great selling point. And even once you're here, the work is just beginning. I, I really love that mentality. How about Garrett Wilson? He was one of those guys who, when he came in, he was the top wide receiver in his yeah. class, and he's one of the guys who's put in the work, and it's and, and it's now showing on the field. He's one of the ones who's gotten it done. How does he feel about Stroud? Here's what he had to say when asked about that. Um, just the ability to spread the ball all around. You know, you can hit. There's not a throw on the field you can't make. And then, uh, you know, he's taking on a leadership role at an early. You know, he's only been here, you know, two years. So for him taking on the role like he has this offseason and this, you know, this fall camp. Um, you know, it's been huge. So just seeing his development, his growth, you know, he knows it too that, you know, he's took a huge couple of steps in you know, these past couple months. So, uh, you know, I can't wait to you know, see how he takes it on his first game start. Hearing Olave say that, you know, uh, Stroud is going to know where to put the ball. Garrett Wilson then saying there's not a throw on the field he can't make. It makes you feel good as an Ohio State, you know, commentator, fan listener of the show, whatever it is that you, your reason that you care about Ohio State makes you feel good going into this first game with C.J. Stroud with these high-level wide receivers saying 
things that would impress you as far as like going to the next level and that's something you have i think in stroud right now yeah and again i think that's another part of this that we talked about at the top of the show where the running game i think you lean on them a lot knowing you've got the trifecta of master teague mayan williams travion henderson to to roll out there three different looks three different styles it, you're not asking C.J. Stroud to be superhuman. You're not asking him to do otherworldly things. You're asking him to move the chains, to make the right reads, and keep life simple. You do that, the talent's going to take over. You know, it's almost it's almost a Joe Burrow preseason comparison. Like you want C.J. to get the ball out of his hand into the wealth of playmakers he's going to have out there. Because I mean, just think about those eyes pre-snap. You got Olave to your left, Wilson to your right. You look behind you, and you've got a stud running back. You've got the best O line in front of you. I, th- I think he'll feel okay. I mean, they're still going to have the jitters. You still have the adrenaline because it's his first start, but I think he's going to settle in quite nicely. Last thing, if you're a Buckeye fan who's turning on Big Ten Network anytime this season, you're going to have a chance to hear a couple of former yeah. Buckeyes. Brandon yeah. Gauden and James Laurinaitis will be, uh, I think, the, the top rotation for them. They start the season. They're actually on the Rutgers Temple game Thursday night. I think we'll all be a little oh, bit busy. Sorry, James. We might not be yeah. uh, checking out your, your broadcast <laughs> for that one. But the, on Saturday, he's got the uh, number 17 Indiana at number 18 Iowa. So that'll be a good one to check out. And the then Joshua Perry, you can hear him on B- Big Ten Tailgate, and then he's all over all their studio shows as well. So uh, a Buckeye flavor there. That is today's Buckeye Bulletin. Next, we're going to take a deeper dive into the Alliance, Ooh, which one day in is even more stupider, and I purposely made that sound even stupider myself than I previously thought. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Most shows just skim the surface, but Rothman and I feel like the biggest story of the day deserves a closer look. It's time for A Deeper Dive. Sponsored by United Dairy Farmers. Miss filling up before gas prices went up? Get UDF slow price lock with U-Drive. Chops and Jensen Lewis, Rothman and Ice, right here on The Fan. Today we're going to take a deeper dive into the Alliance, and I've decided that when I write it, I'm only going to write it with a lowercase a, because I don't think it deserves proper nounmanship. There we go. That's how you say that. I, I don't get it. I don't understand what they what they did here. I thought the idea was novel, and it could be something, and then they come out and they say that, oh, we're going to continue to honor contracts through whatever, you know, because some of these guys have contracts now through the, you know, the middle of next decade. So it'll be 10 years before we even really see anything out of the alliance that looks like what they're really trying to do schedule wise. It's not in writing anywhere. It's just a gentleman's agreement. They looked each other in the eye and they, they decided that we're together as an alliance. And then I saw this yesterday because I was still holding out hope that maybe something will happen and maybe there will be a little bit more in the works because the commissioners don't have their hands on everything, especially those contracts. A lot of those out-of-conference games, I think all of them really, are scheduled by the individual athletic departments, their athletic directors, maybe sometimes even on the whims of the individual coaches who they might want to play, things like that. And they're set up that way, so it's not really for the commissioners to, to get rid of these games because what I thought the Alliance needed to do to have any sort of power, and maybe the SEC would have just shrugged their shoulders and not care, but if they wanted to have some power 
power. They had to come out and say, we're not playing any SEC teams. That's what this alliance is about, is we're only going to schedule. Really, it probably should have just been, we're going to schedule games between us three. That really freezes out the Big 12. Maybe they didn't want to do that, but they could have at least gone out there, gone strong against the SEC, because that's what this all is. It's a it's a response to what the SEC did by really just throwing a grenade into the middle of the college football room and blowing everything up by taking in Texas and Oklahoma and and now everything's out of whack and people are scrambling to figure it out. But I was, like I said, I was holding out hope that maybe it could mean something. And then I saw this yesterday from Brody Miller, who we've had on Bishop and Laurinaitis before covers LSU. LSU and USC have agreed to meet for a 2024 season opener in Las Vegas at and this was a funny typo. He says Alliance Stadium. A source confirms to the Athletic College Football. He meant Allegiant Stadium. <laughs> he he followed that up with a tweet yes. that that was pretty funny. That was like you could probably see where my typo came from. Uh, Ross Dellinger had this news first. I see that and I go. Then what was the point of the Alliance? So already we thought it didn't have any teeth. We thought it didn't mean something. And then this comes out. One of the highest profile teams in the entire Alliance, USC, goes out there the first full day of it. Exists Existing, and they schedule LSU, an SEC team, basically spitting in the face of it, the, the the chance, the possibility, the hope that it could have meant something when really the alliance just means nothing. And to me, this confirmed it. If we look at the field of 68 in the uh, NCAA tournament for uh, men's and women's basketball, uh, it, would you would you say I'll 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 be kind of a lawyer here for a second. I'll give you a line <laughs> of questioning. Uh, would you say Would you say that that correctly identifies at the end of the tournament the best team in college basketball, men's and women's? No. It. Okay. You- I would say it usually identifies the hottest team. <laughs> okay, so so for for three weeks we are glued to our TVs um, for for multiple reasons, but uh, to make sure our brackets are are awesome, and then the final four, uh, the coronation of uh, the men's and women's basketball national champion. So so you're basically telling me the best team doesn't always win the national title. Correct. In basketball is that what you're is that what you're telling me? That okay. seems to be the trend. Uh, would we? Okay. Would we say that in an expanded playoff to encompass in college football, let's say twelve teams, just for conversational purposes, let's say that there are representatives uh, from each conference, and your conference champ, your conference champion is your automatic bid. Okay. So the Power Five, uh, you know, you get one. Uh, the Group of Five, you get one. Mm-hmm. And there are two independents. Okay, let me let me ask you this line of questioning: Would that derail you from needing to move to a different conference? Would you want to stay? And I'm 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 using Oklahoma and Texas as an example here, because the only reason they moved is that they want to have a chance to get in the Final Four of college football, how it's presently set up. Mm-hmm. If we had a 12-team playoff this year, and the rules were such. Each of the member Power Five conferences, your champion is your automatic bid. Each of the Group of Five conferences, your champion is an automatic bid. And then we have two at-large bids, and we can figure out what that is. But 10 of the 12 teams, you are the best team in your conference because you had to play your regular season, you had to play your conference opponents, and you had to win a conference title game. Would that would that give you a field of teams, at least 10 of the 12, that you can be confident in, we can find 
the very best team in college football by the end of it. I would be pretty confident that the best team in college football would be in that group of 10. Now, okay. when you do include the group of five conference champions, that's when we start to get into those arguments about who's really worthy. But that is right. something I've always thought the the college football playoff needed is there is no guaranteed way to get to the college football playoff because we've seen teams go undefeated and not get the invite. Correct. And what's the point of playing a sport if you can win every game and then be told, well, you're not eligible for the championship? Agreed. So that this is where I've kind of thought expanded postseason makes the most sense and the revamp of how the specific conferences work. Because if that was the case, Oklahoma and Texas would hit the e-break and be like, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> We're going to stay put because our best chance to get in is in the conference we just left. Yeah. If you are in the ACC, Clemson's like, all right, well, really nothing changes. Ohio State, same thing in the Big Ten. And then in the Pac-12, now you all of a sudden feel legit again because you're like, oh, my God, all we got to do is win the conference title game or yeah. win our conference. Win the co- That's all we got to do? Oh, my God. We don't have to schedule in Ohio State to be able to get some strength of schedule. We just got to win our conference because – that's how they do it? Wow. All right. Let's just stay here. I don't need some alliance. I don't need to like <laughs> gang up with my buddies and, you know, channel the uh, or, or challenge the Channel 4 news team. I don't need to do that. So, I that was the first thing when I saw this, I said, "Okay." And and this is a me as a Vanderbilt graduate, you know, from from college baseball in the SEC. It's the best conference in the country by far. Uh there there is a lot I think that really gets clouded in college football about who's the best and who's the, who's not and, and the subjectivity of it. We, we all end up debating it. Now, is it great for TV? Is it great for ratings week in and week out because people are constantly you know debating the merits of it? Sure. But wouldn't you have intrigue in each part of the country if, dang, man, like you got... You yeah. got four teams in it to, to down to the wire. Every game still matters, Chops. Every game still matters. All your conference game matters. All of your t- conference title games are going to have huge implications because the winner goes. Look at professional sports. You get an automatic bid to the tournament if you win your division in the NFL, in uh, Major League Baseball. The NBA has had to kind of do some things around it because – they're in shambles and they don't know how to put a tournament together. Technically, but let's think about I it. think if you do win your division, you make the NBA playoffs, but it has nothing to. It like doesn't affect the, the seed, seeding. Yeah, yeah, right. So I'm just saying on the merit of it. All right, in Major League Baseball, there's three divisions. You win your division, you're in. Doesn't matter if you're below 500. If you're the top team at the end in your division, you're in. Yep. Uh, we've seen this in the NFL every year. There's a division winner that's like seven and nine, and then they got to go in and hey. You won your division, and some people some people hate that, especially with like the NFC East this past season. I think it's okay because I like the idea of sports having. A, if There's you're going to have a tournament, flow. there has to be a way to make it. It There's can't just be flow. picking yeah. teams. Yeah, I mean, we at one point the NFC West was garbage. Okay, yeah. I mean they they weren't very good. The NFC they're going to be the best on paper. They're going to be the the best division or the toughest division in football on paper to start the year. Okay, so in my in my estimation, again, just one voice. We're on radio. We're just throwing stuff out there. I'd be fascinated to hear what people think. You put a 12-team playoff in right now. You figure out those group of five conferences that are, are eligible to make it, 
and and you do you do what you need to do if you need some realignment or you need some some teams that are good some independents that need to get in um and then you you say hey here's your schedule you got to play your you got to play your conference opponents if you win your conference and your conference title game you're in and then let's reseed after that and you can find a way in the in the infinite wisdom of of all these athletic directors and school presidents, you can find a way to to figure out a seating and a bracket for that. And I guarantee you that brings more of the country into it and gives more people a sense of all we want is a chip and a chair at the table. Mm-hmm. We want to know a direct path to to get in. Okay, from the beginning of the year, you know what it takes to get there. All right, I'm going to win my conference. I'm in. Now, give me whoever the heck it is. Because I'll get my kids ready to play. I don't care where we got to go. We in. We got a shot. Let's play. And it's not like there aren't overmatched teams in other realms of sport when they put together this tournament. I mean, every like you mentioned, the NCAA tournament. We've only had one sixteen-one upset, but it you know usually the sixteen-one game a complete blowout. So yeah, there might be teams that just get blown out, but they still get a chance to go there, and they know how they get there at the end of the year. I don't. I don't hate that idea. I I like it more. Than what's happening right now because the 12 team model that was proposed, I, I was okay with. But then once you know that it was already in the works for the SEC to take in Texas and Oklahoma, it became pretty clear that the way that Sankey, who was one of the like members on the, the group coming up with that 12 team format, the way they had formatted it with the amount of at larges that they allowed to be in there. It was pretty clear that, oh, well, let's add two more teams that could be playoff caliber, and then six of the 12 teams could be SEC teams <laughs> in the playoff. And I don't, I don't, like, I don't like that. It's, I said this yesterday. Greg Sankey is the villain in this situation, not the genius, not the savior. I like it. I, again, I'm an SEC alum. I'm a Vandy guy. Uh, I, I can agree. <laughs> I mean, you just have to understand that if you're going to make an alliance, if you're going to try and break – you know this this power struggle. Uh, you've got to find a way to even the playing field and even the crown jewel. What is the crown jewel in college football? To make the college football playoff. If you add more teams, you're going to get more ratings. You're going to get more money. But you have to incentivize it for other parts of the country and other conferences in the country and be a clear path. A clear path to the tournament in March Madness, you have an automatic bid. If you win your conference tournament, you have an automatic bid. Okay? Uh, there, th- there is a lot to love about March Madness in the effect that when you look at these at-large teams or you look at these teams playing in smaller conferences, how many times have we seen the 12-5 upset? How many times have we seen the double-digit seed Beat a conference champion that's you know in a in a, in a more prominent spot. I, you all you want is to give these kids a clear path and an opportunity to play in their tournament and have a shot because you always want it decided on the floor, on the field, whatever surface you're playing on. That's why it's called that's a playoff. Where you want it. Exactly. So I don't know. I the it just. The SEC makes this move, and then these three conferences make this alliance, and the alliance doesn't look like it's going to be anything, and it just seems... I, I don't know where it's all going to go, but it's it, it's a shame that this is the direction college football is is going in, because I don't... I just don't view it as like this big win for the SEC. I think, I mean, obviously it is good for them, but, and like the, you know, some people are like, oh, if the, if the Big Ten was reached out 
by these teams and they, they decided to, to pass on it. Maybe the Big Ten didn't want to blow up college football and wasn't just so power hungry about it. That's what irks me the, the whole wrong way is that the SEC is looking to power up up themselves with no regard for what happens outside of their conference. And that's just not healthy for the sport of college football. We'll tell the truth next. Rothman and Ice right here on The Fan. Here's a listener tweet. Can I tase Common Man in the nuts? Fine by us, but he may like it. Common Man and Tebow. Weekdays from 3 to 6. The Fan. Tell the truth with Rothman and Ice. I don't know about you, J. Lou, but I just lie all the time on this show. So let's try to tell the truth in this segment. <laughs> all right. Fantastic. So doctors told Justin Verlander that he should not return to baseball in 2021, meaning that he would return in 2022. I would assume for spring training, but I don't know for sure. But my question to you is, when he comes back, do we expect to see him at the top form or will he regress? J. Lou, I'm yeah. going to defer to you on this one. Yeah, I think he'll be fine. Um, again, when anytime you're dealing... Uh, with that kind of arm injury, it, it is best to let it heal. And um, again, the, the Astros are going to go deep in October. I, I think he could provide, you know, obviously, a boost to them. But while they're currently constructed the way they are, they, it's hard to say because of the impact this guy has had in his career. It's not to say they don't need him, but they don't need him that bad for him to have to come back. So I think it's the right move. I think he still wants to play and 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 be uh, at his very best. So while it'll be tough because his team's going to be in it and have a chance to win it all again, uh, I think that's a smart move. So you think if he takes the right precautions and works his yeah. way back, he should be back up yep. to his top form? I don't. I, I'm gonna like I said, I'm gonna defer to you. I just feel like when you get up there in age. Going under the knife gets me nervous, but uh, we'll just have to see, and you, you know a lot more about it than I do. <laughs> just find out right now today is true. Okay, so Drew Locke expressed his disappointment in not winning the QB battle against Teddy Bridgewater. So my question to you is, do you believe he'll be with the Broncos in 2022? Ooh. First thing wow. when I saw this headline was, I mean, I get him like expressing disappointment, but I just did these headlines always make me kind of chuckle. It's like, of course he's disappointed. <laughs> like he, he he thought he had a chance to get the starting job. He doesn't get it. And there, there he is. But, you know, he has to answer the question. So he gives his opinion on it. I can't see Teddy Bridgewater as their long-term plan. So I guess it's probably time to try again. And I don't think that's going to be give Drew Locke another year. Because what, what is this, his third or fourth season? So no, I don't think he'll be with the Broncos next year. The bigger question coming out of this for me is when... Is it going to be enough that they aren't going to trust John Elway with this anymore? This is like the third time he's done this. You've got Brock Osweiler, Paxton Lynch, now Drew Locke. He keeps picking out these guys, handpicking these guys in the draft. Now, admittedly, it's it's later in the draft. They're not, you know, the Broncos haven't completely bottomed out and had like a top three pick or anything like that. But just at a certain point. How much can John Elway coast off of, well, I signed Peyton Manning. Well, anybody would have signed Peyton Manning. You got it at some point, they have to develop a quarterback, and he's had a few shots at it, and they just haven't been able to get it done. I I'm, I am now higher, way higher on the Broncos than I was anticipating uh, Drew Locke commanding the troops here in the first couple of uh, weeks. So I think there's... I think there's a lot to like about the the near term, but I think what you said, Chops, really rings uh, especially true with a lot of Bronco fans. Is like, God, we, how many times? How many times you got to go to the well? I mean, can we get someone in here or at least relinquish the duties and the decision making? You know, he's 
He's been in the front office there forever. It's probably one of those living legend situations where yeah. you know ownership would have to tell him to go, but they're not going to do it. You know, he's basically going to go out on his time, but Bridgewater gives him a chance to win now. Drew Locke certainly does not. Yeah, I mean, you El- can't handle the truth. I was just going to add in. Yeah, always had about a decade to to figure it out and get it right, and he's had a few mm. shots at it. It just hasn't worked out. Yeah, I mean, at some point, I don't, I don't know. I don't. Maybe they they don't like the the options of hiring anybody else. You know, I don't know exactly how you go about building your front office, but maybe it needs to be more of a group decision. I don't know, but you're right with Teddy Bridgewater. While it is a good near-term situation, it also kind of hurts the the long-term situation because again, it doesn't look like they're going to bottom out and get one of those high picks. So they're going to be picking middle of the draft in the 20s, maybe something like that. I don't know where they're going to find their next quarterback. Did you say I know my truth? I know my truth. Okay, our daily fan poll sponsored by Record Ford, and it's who will win the second NL wild card spot. Is it the Reds, Padres, Cardinals, or Phillies? Uh, as it currently stands, I will go ahead and eliminate the Padres. Yes, you heard that right here. I will, eliminate, I will eliminate the San Diego Padres from postseason contention. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds, if they, can, if they can find a way to be consistent with the bullpen in September, their road is a ton easier than San Diego. Uh, the Cardinals, will they have something to say about it? They always find a way to be there. Uh, the Phillies, the Phillies have everyone in front of them. I mean, they're going to be able to take care of the Mets. Uh, the Braves have been really, really good. Are they due for a little regression? We'll see. Um, but I, I think, I think the Reds are in this postseason, and and they're going to be a handful in that wild card game. I agree with you, based on reading the one game summary of this year from the Padres because they played a 16 inning game last night. I think they're out of it too. And I'm going to go with the Reds because that's the closest to a hometown team I've had in baseball. So yeah, the Reds—they're already there. All they got to do is find a way to stay up there in the in the top part of this. Well, the bottom part of the wild card, top part of the second wild card, however you want to phrase it. Yeah, line. All right, and our final one is a would you rather? Would you rather try to survive a zombie or robot apocalypse? <laughs> <laughs> I well, okay. So would you rather try to survive? See the if you don't. I, f- which one would be worse if you don't? A robot might just take you out, you know, quick like a firing squad type thing. If they're like the Terminator robots, but they could also robots also have a little bit more uh, authority, and they could take you and you know, I don't know, capture you and make you do, do you know labor for them. So that that doesn't sound very good. Whereas a zombie, <laughs> if a zombie got a hold of you, it's a it's a really it's a really painful demise just on on the service because they rip you apart and they they start eating you but it's over then you might have to live eternity as a zombie if you just get the bite and get infected and then you drop dead and turn into one of them so that's the thing that i think i'd go with zombie i know a lot more about zombie stuff because i i've taken in a lot of zombie media over the over the years so i think i'd go with the zombie one, just because it, I, th- I I would enjoy seeing it more, but it would still be the worst. The hardest part about a zombie army, if you're trying to take down zombies, they're the only they're the only enemy that people have. Where every time you lose, uh, you know, quote unquote, like soldier in in the fight, they gain one because that person gets up and turns into a zombie. Very hard to take down all the zombies. Uh, I will err on the side of caution here. I have never thought about this, but. Wa- <laughs> But watching Game of Thrones, uh, the White Walkers would would scare the hell out of me. So I'll side with the uh, the zombies. I would. Uh, I, w- I don't know how how we can survive either one of them. But uh, 
Give me, give me the shot against the White Walkers. There you have it. And the truth shall And the truth has set us free. Coming up, we had, as I mentioned, a long-as-heck baseball game last night. We'll talk about that. Rothman and Ice on the fan. Winners of the prestigious Platinum Microphone Award every year. Given to the best radio station in the world. Uh, no need to look it up. It's real. The Fan. Dog advice? Check. Gambling advice? Check. Eating broccoli for every meal? Check. Yeah, I know you're hungry. This is Rothman and Ice. I do not eat broccoli for every meal. That is a Matty Ice Hayes thing. He is off today and tomorrow. Rothman's been off all week. Chops and J. Lou hanging out with you. And we're about to hit J. Lou's specialty here. We're going to go into some of the baseball because there were two events last night that uh not crazy monumental, but just, uh, you know, I would say like every once in a while something happens in baseball that like cracks through and it's just like general sports news as well and it's the uh, and it, when they're in this season and it seems so monotonous sometimes from the outside when you're not like fully like a day-to-day baseball fan but i see both of these events last night and they uh they both were like oh wow that's something this dodgers padres game we'll start with that one it went 16 innings 5-3 i believe they started uh extra innings with five straight scoreless innings so that's that's yeah. something for you about uh, almost a six-hour game it was funny the this game we played it on the fan last night and it was a join in progress at 10 and when i when i saw that on the schedule i was like well out west you know they'll get they'll get most of that game in you know cuz they they start so much later and everything and who who knew we got to air basically two straight baseball games right here on the fan last night because yeah this game goes 16 innings and the uh the Dodgers win 5-3 but the Kind of the the bigger note on this is it's the longest MLB game since the implementation of the runner on second rule, which isn't a very old rule, but I know it's a little controversial, and it's this seems to be antithetical to the idea of the rule, that a game is still going 16 innings in almost six hours, even with that runner on second rule. Yeah, this is uh, one of the outliers, but uh, miraculous that you have, uh, beginning in the 10th inning, a runner on second, nobody out for both squads, and five consecutive innings, as you talked about. No one scores. Not a run across. That a feat in and of itself. Uh, take it from somebody who uh, had to deal with some of those situations. And it's just so difficult with runners in scoring position, let alone uh, one out, uh, make it zero outs for these guys coming in. So very, very tough. But Dodgers uh, score two in the top of the 15th. Fernando Tatis Jr., your game-tying two-run homer. Some theatrics in the bottom of the 15th. And then A.J. Pollock puts away the Padres in the top of the 16th with a two-run homer himself. So... Uh, really well-played game, and, and usually when you see games go this long, the losing team, it ends up staying with them for like a week or two. Uh, it, that, that is felt for a while. That's why I told you the previous segment, uh, I think the Padres are toast. Uh, yeah. they're, fi- they're 15 games out now in the, uh, in the National League West. And, and remember, beginning of the year, this is a team that a lot of people were saying, oh, you know what? They might beat the Dodgers. They might beat them in the National League West. Well, uh, the Dodgers have taken care of business. Padres now only eight games above 500. LA moves to a cool 80 and 47, uh, 33 games 
over 500. And Walker Bueller was uh, fantastic. Uh, your leader for the NL Cy Young uh, right now, six and two thirds, gave up one run, none earned on three hits while he punched out eight. So, uh, and, and give give Blake Snell credit because this was one of his better outings. Uh, maybe not even just of the season, but of his career. Seven and two thirds, punched out ten, didn't walk anybody, and only gave up a run on three hits. So. I think uh, I think we're kind of seeing uh, the beginning of the end here uh, for San Diego, and and last night you lose that kind of marathon game. It's just really really tough to shake in the short term. Yeah, I mean, obviously they still got a lot of the, the regular season left, but it felt that uh, that crazy five overtime game that the in the bubble that the Jackets oh, played. Oh gosh, yeah, that one. That's that like right. if they just got another huh. puck in, and then then it, then it feels good. I I, believe, I think it was game one. So then they would they'd be up one game, you know, one game to nothing on the the Lightning. But you lose that one, and it just feels so deflating. They obviously didn't turn it around in that series, and yeah, I think that could be something that could be going for the Padres again. A longer runway to to get things back on track, but they're already behind the eight ball, as you mentioned, way behind in the division and are and behind in the second NL wild card. So that can hang with you. But the the runner on second rule and this being the longest game since they they started doing that, it, it had me think because this is coming in this year in college football. Which do you think is like a you know, for lack of a better term, dumber rule. College football overtime, they're going to trade off doing two-point conversions starting in the third OT this this coming season. I believe it was, they, they said it was after five was the previous rule, but I've never really, I don't remember ever really seeing the, the, the trading it off. But either way, if anybody gets the three OTs, we're going to see them just going back and forth between two-point conversions, which is from the three-yard line, I believe. Or do you think that one's dumber, or the runner on second rule? Where do you stand on that? I, I, I feel like I have to go with the college football <laughs> one. I mean, so, so we're basically taking offense. Out, I mean, all together, almost all together, we're taking offense out of it by the third OT. Yeah, and and I mean, this almost feels like it's going to prolong it. Yeah, you're you know, right. I, I mean, you got a better be... chance. You got a better chance of, of of a team not being able to get past their twenty. Uh, and, a, and a field goal kicker getting blocked. Uh, I, I just this is this to me is stupid. <laughs> I mean, it, you're, it you... seems like it's not the sport at that point. Correct. And I know hockey goes to shootouts and soccer will do that too. But the runner on second one is just like encourages another run to be scored to hopefully get you out of extra innings faster. But you just start with the runner on second and then you play baseball. This one is, and that's what college football overtime normally is. You you start on the twenty five, but then you play football and you figure out who who can who can win, who can outlast the other team. When you start to go to this, where you're just doing two point conversions, it's like, yeah, I mean, I guess you're still running football plays. But you're not. There's no strategy to it. You just call one play after the other, and I guess it's whichever team has the most inventive. If it goes for a long time, like whichever team has the most inventive two point conversion plays. Whereas baseball, you still have to drive in that run from second and to do that you have to play real baseball it would be like to me it seems like if baseball decided after after 12 innings it's a home run derby and uh whichever team it's the most out of the park for 10 um we had said uh back when bud selig called the all-star game a tie that they should have gone to sudden death home run derby there <laughs> that would be fun um, for for the all-star game i'd be it, i'd be on board for it there yeah, because I mean, imagine a tied after nine in the in the All Star game this day and age, and you have to implement the runner on second to to, to finish the All Star game. You want to talk about uh, just a nightmare scenario there? 
uh, that that definitely be it. Because by that time, all the managers have tried to get all their players in. Yeah. You, know, you want everyone to have a shot to play in the All-Star game. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to side with college football. Uh, this is stupid. <laughs> and uh, we might see seven OTs you know, yeah. with, with uh, the, this implementation. It, uh, yeah, I, I'm really, like... Not excited, I guess just intrigued to see the first game that goes into three OTs this yeah. year and has yeah. to start doing this. The other uh, game yesterday that piqued my interest, the Orioles, they got a win against the Angels 10-6. to They snapped a 19-game losing streak. They were two losses shy of the American League record for the longest skid, which is an Orioles record set in 1988 when they started 0-21. Not great news for the Orioles, but at least... They broke that losing streak. Well, and doing it against Shohei Otani, who was on the mound, yeah. uh, he gave up uh, multiple homers uh, for the first time in a game. He had given up two all season. So that filed that away for the Baltimore Orioles. Um, and, they and, found and, a way. They found. They cracked the code on they, <laughs> Shohei Otani. You know, this is crazy too because they were down. They were down what six to two heading in the bottom of the fourth. They got a pair back. Then they got it to 6-5 in the 7th, and then they unloaded uh, for 5 in the bottom of the 8th to, to put it away. So, yes, uh, if you remember in 1988, the uh, 88 Orioles started 0-21 for their season. Mm. Oh, almost a calendar month going without a win to start your year. That'll put you a little bit behind in the division that race. Will do that. That'll eliminate you before <laughs> May 1st, for sure. Yeah, that's no good. But So, yeah, 19 games, not quite to 21 straight, but... Uh, not a great place to be in the record book for the Orioles. At least they were able yeah. to break that last night. The latest in the NFL coming up in the two-minute drill. Rothman and Ice right here on The Fan. The only radio show Ryan Day listens to when we're holding him hostage, making him listen to a radio show. The Buckeye Show. Weeknights at 6. The Fan. It's time for the NFL two-minute drill. Sponsored by Dr. Mark Levy. Stop snoring and start sleeping now. Visit sleepbettercolumbus.com today. Chops and J. Lou, and we're going to kick it old school to start off here. And uh, we've got a prize for you. Winner receives a pair of tickets to James Taylor with special guest Jackson Brown playing at Nationwide Arena on Saturday, December 11th. Beat the box office for your ticket. So uh, let's go with... Second caller, since the second segment is when we started the show today, technically. <laughs> the second caller wins a pair of tickets. All right, two-minute drill. This one I saw uh, throughout the show. Josh Allen is actually going to start for the Bills in their third preseason game. And I, I, I'm curious as to why maybe a few more teams aren't doing things like this, still treating the third one. I know it's the last one still, but you'd think maybe the same kind of run up to it that you would still treat the third one as a little bit of a dress rehearsal for your starters but most people seem to be going the opposite direction that there's going to be no starters anywhere near it bills uh no they're gonna they're gonna play josh allen who knows how much but it does say in here that uh coach mcdermott did say that some of the starters might play most of the first half for them so they're going uh, a a starter heavy approach for the third preseason game the bills that's are. fine yeah i'm all right with that it's uh it's really you know, to each their own, right? Yeah, you know, how do you feel as camp has progressed? Do you, do you need a couple of more reps? Uh, I don't think there's any 
any issue with uh, Sh- uh, Sean McDermott and, and how they want to do that with Buffalo. Yeah, don't don't have them running, you know, a bunch of naked bootlegs or stuff like that. Yeah, right. But, yeah, I mean, it's football. Like, if the if a guy's going to get hurt, it, it it's going to happen, like, whenever. So, yeah, I don't really have too much of a problem with some of these quarterbacks playing, especially, I mean, you know, Josh Allen is still on the, the younger side. Obviously, he just signed that huge deal. Still on the younger side, though, so he can still use some tune-up. I, I'm okay with it. This from Joe Brady, the Panthers offensive coordinator. Quote, I have something with him. I'm confident in Sam. I feel like he has a great grasp of the offense right now. He's talking about Sam Darnold. Uh, this sounds like um, preseason camp stuff to me where the coach is trying to convince himself that he really does see something and that he feels something. I mean, Sam Darnold can have as much of a grasp of the offense as they think he has, but he still has to go out there and physically perform and make that stuff work. What we saw from him in New York doesn't give me confidence in that, but there is a part of me that definitely knows that eh, that could just be all because it was the New York Jets that he was playing behind. The Panthers seem to have things a little bit more figured out, so maybe there will be some sort of darnold eh, That kind of works in, in Carolina, and he'll, he'll play a little bit better for them. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, if he can stay healthy, is as good a player offensively in our game. Uh, you know, DJ Moore, uh, the rapport there, and and I think with Robbie Anderson, knowing uh, from his days uh, with Sam Darnold in New York, that could be good. You also got Terrace Marshall Jr. in the second round of the draft, uh, up and coming guy there. So, um, it Matt Rule finds ways in uh, in year two and year three. We saw him do it at Baylor. Let's see what he can do. Uh, with Sam Darnold, a guy now with a skill set. I mean, yeah, they had Teddy Bridgewater last year, but, uh, you know, let's see what they can do now with, with Sam Darnold at the helm. Sticking with quarterbacks, but this one a retired one, but not a very old retired quarterback. Maybe he's getting that itch to go play again. Andrew Luck, apparently quarterback the scout team offense at a Colorado high school practice so he spends a lot of his time in colorado recently uh, apparently he contacted a coach at summit high school in frisco colorado and asked if he could come out to practice summit head coach james wagner was amazed by how involved luck got when he showed up even jumping on the scout team the quarterback he said the kids are all trying to get picks on andrew so they could say that we almost had one so we almost got picked off by a bunch of high schoolers wagner added that you know football's still football no matter where you're at i think he was happy to be out there and on the field again being around the game and that was really cool for me to see that in him and the coach was saying yeah you know even though they're high schoolers and andrew luck is you know so much older than them it seemed they seemed to really come together it reminds me of he didn't really practice with us but he did like a workout with us when i was in high school I was going into my sophomore year i was I was uh, it was like a summer workout for the football team and there was a there was a, a guy in the weight room who was also like working out he was kind of doing his own thing but then he like ran the sprints with us and stuff and uh one of my classmates teammates he came up to me and he goes hey that's mike nugent so mike nugent yeah worked out with us one time i don't know i don't know what team he would you know because he bounced around a lot but that was cool that uh mike nugent he, he is a centerville elk alum you know among the the others and aj hawk never came and worked out with us and if he did i would not have wanted him to uh to suit up and practice against us that would have been a whole different story than andrew luck tossing a few balls of aj you know if you're the if you're the guard and aj hawks shooting the gap on a run play eh, don't sign me up for that coach I'll, I'll i'll take this one off i love seeing andrew luck out there competing uh again i was as shocked as anybody i'm sure uh most uh, nfl fans just seeing it but hey uh, his decision, it kind of feel, I can't believe it's been two years. It, it doesn't feel that long. Uh, but a nice story there. And 
Uh, another guy that makes good, such a good person in and of himself. So fun for those kids, uh, a time they'll never forget. Another guy who seems to be doing a good job of being a good teammate, being a good guy, A.J. Green. He says he's okay with kind of playing second fiddle now to DeAndre Hopkins out there in Arizona. He says, uh, quote, I'm always... I'm always team first. When I was the guy in Cincinnati for 10 years, I always wanted another guy. I had Tyler Boyd, and we had Marv Jones. We had some great guys. My thing is, I don't want to be forced the ball, and here, I don't want to be forced the ball. So, A.J. Green out there in Arizona, he's he's cool with just waiting his time. I can be the second option. That's all right, Kyler. Just as long as we're winning, that's what I want to do. I got news for A.J. Green. He ain't the second option. He may not even be the third. You got Rondell Moore coming in, as we know from Purdue, coming off uh, an injury. He just paid somebody for his. I didn't see what the number was, but he uh, or what the dollar value was, but he just paid somebody on the team to get his college number back. That is, uh, hey, when you're, the when you're he paid the punter. Okay, so what? Probably not not as expensive <laughs> as it true. could have been. So uh, good for him. But yeah, I mean DeAndre, uh, you can one run uh, Rondale Moore in the slot. Christian Kirk was really good for them before he got hurt. And then let's see what James Conner does coming over in the backfield of team with Chase Edmonds. Uh, we obviously know Kyler can do what he can do with his feet. Uh, Arizona going to be one of those dark horse candidates in the NFC. Do not take them for granted. That's going to be a team I think that could surprise some people this year. Last one, Quentin Nelson for the Colts. He says he's doing everything he can to get back. Thankful they said five weeks recovery time because that would give me time to get back for week one. I was just thankful that it wasn't worse. Quote, I'm doing everything I can to get back for week one. So it sounds like he's on track. Uh, I think Carson Wentz is going to have a better. They, they had like the same injury, same surgery. I think Carson Wentz is going to have a, a little bit of an easier time because when you're just talking about uh, an offensive lineman with a foot injury, especially an interior offensive lineman like uh, you know he is at, at guard. That's really tough because he, he in this same article he, he was asked, you know, do you, do you ever figure out how you got hurt? And he's like, I think somebody just stepped on my foot. Well, people are going to step on your foot a lot playing guard. It's going to happen. So uh, it sounds like he's on track, but it still makes me a little bit more nervous for a guard. Uh, Colt's schedule is is pretty daunting. Uh, they open with Seattle at home, then they get the LA Rams. Then they go on the road to Tennessee and to Miami and to Baltimore. Yeah. Those are your first five weeks. Now, if you can get past that, it opens up a little bit because you'll have the Texans, the 49ers, the Titans. So you'll be done with Tennessee you know, before they're by. The Jets, the Jags, tough one against the Bills and Bucks. then the Texans. Uh, so I mean, this is a team that could really thrive on the back end of their schedule, but oof. Talk about Kansas City being tough in the first five, six weeks. I mean, the Colts are right up there. That is today's NFL two-minute drill. Timmy Hall and T-Bone are uh, in for Common Man and T-Bone. Well, T-Bone's still in, so whatever. Either way, those guys are taking you through to 6 o'clock. J. Lou and I will be back tomorrow. It's Rothman and Ice right here on The Fan.